Okay, and welcome to today's show. We've got a, a special treat for you. We've got a couple of the, uh, Canadian neighbors here that are now doing Trainmaster TV for Model Railroad Hobbyists. We've got executive producer Barry Silverthorne, and then we've got Clark Koenig, uh, who you'll hear from later on, uh, joining us. So welcome on board, guys. Nice to be here. Thank you very much. Okay, glad, to, glad to have you. Uh, Barry, let's... Uh, Start with a little bit of uh, maybe your background and what led you to this uh, uh, endeavor with uh, Joe from your end. Uh, I've been, as far as my involvement in the hobby, I've been doing this since I was about three years old when I got a, a Triang model railroad for uh, for Christmas one year. It was all set up on a piece of plywood by my father and and. The story, as, I, as I've seen it on 8mm films, is he ran the trains and I got to sit and watch all day. Um, but I've done a lot, of, a lot of stuff on a lot of different scales over the years, and I've, uh, I ran a model, model train shop for several years as well. Um, but uh, many years ago, I, I pitched the idea when I worked in, in television of doing a, a show about model trains. This is going back actually about 20 years. And... Uh, we threw the idea around to some people who did television, and, and it never really went anywhere. Uh, but about two years ago, I was doing a show about classic cars, uh, uh, editing a show about classic cars, and I said to the people I worked with, um, you know, if we if we took the, the rubber wheels off and put steel wheels on and put it on rails, we could probably get the network to buy another 13 shows of, of this show. And uh, we pitched the idea to the network and and by the time it actually got to uh, the place where a decision could be made uh they the network had changed hands and they weren't very interested in doing uh, shows about cars or trains so um i thought well maybe i could take this idea and uh, take it to the internet and uh it, it, at some point i approached joe and and pitched the idea of a a, a internet tv show um, in conjunction with the magazine, in partnership with a model railroad hobbyist, and and it didn't take long for it to get to the stage where it's where it's been launched now as of November. I'm loving it. I'll tell you, I I, I became a subscriber uh, last month, and I've been really enjoying Trainmaster TV. Well, thanks, thanks for thanks for the support. Uh, I. I I hope it's it's meeting everyone's expectations. I think it's um, it's something a little unique. I think compared to what people might expect a a video channel to be, because what we are doing is a is a broadcast TV show. Uh, the only difference is it's not on TV; it's on the internet. Well, I think the technology can support the the media now. I mean, it, it's kind of the right thing in the right place at the right time. And I, I think. Um, I think yeah. you're right, and I think also the technology is also becoming affordable enough that that uh, you know I can have a three camera studio uh, here uh, right inside my home. Right. Uh, I mean, what I really like is, well, I, I'm not really a cable person anyway, so I, I'm a guy that's already accustomed to Netflix, and you know, I have an Apple TV and all that other stuff, and it, it, it's been just just another channel in my arsenal that, that I really enjoy. 
And it's something I really long for since the days of just regular cable TV is just some sort of train programming, you know, back in the 90s when it was everybody still had cable and stuff. Uh, I, I always wished, you know, as a teenager, oh, I would, uh, there'd be, that'd be so cool to have like a, a train related channel, you know, just like Comedy Network, uh, MTV and all that stuff were kind of becoming popular. So uh, this is sort of, a wish long time granted, you know. <laughs> and and the one thing that I love about it is that we don't have to dumb down the content for a general audience. I mean, when you say SD40-2, everybody pretty much in the hobby knows what that is or knows where to find out where that is. So we don't have to we don't have to take it down to a level where everybody can appreciate it. Right. Right. Okay. Well, let me ask you how because uh, like Chris, I've already been to the to the site watch some of the segments. Uh, we had a long interview with Joe, I think it was maybe November, October, about the expectations for it, uh, for Train Masters TV. Uh, how do you, what's your vision of how this is going to present to uh, to your audience? Is it going to be like episodic or are you going to come out with a, a full show of an hour? What's your thinking there? Well, the way it's structured is we do a, a basically a show every month that's about an hour long. Sometimes it'll be a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. And we release it in, in four acts. So every week we uh, release a, uh, a new act. And by the end of the month, if you've watched all four, you'll have the whole show. Okay. Uh, if you watch at the end of the month, well, you can sit down and watch it all in one sitting and basically, uh, it's like a TV show, except instead of a commercial break, you just click the next link to, to watch the next segment. Okay, and, excellent. And in addition, there's, uh, there's also bonus content, because we do produce a lot of uh, material that, that either might be too specific to put in the show, but still a lot of people would appreciate seeing it. For example, a lot of the backshot clinics, they can run the 20 or 30 minutes, which is really too long for the show. But uh, bad information, there's so much information in those 20 or 30 minutes that, it, you know, it's, it's got to go somewhere. People have to see it. So it's, that's all uh, put out there as bonus content. And as, as the, the show grows and the site grows, we're going to be able to produce more and more of that bonus content every month until I think it's probably going to exceed the length of the actual show. Okay. And I noticed that you've already uh, – or the, the – Trainmaster site already has uh, an extensive video library. A lot of, uh, you know, the content that Joe had produced is now available on there. Yeah, I think Joe felt that uh, some of the, the DVDs that he's produced over the years have kind of exceeded their 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 sales life, and uh, that it was time to make them uh, available as bonus content as well. And I'm sure he'll be producing stuff down the road, too, that will just go directly to, to Train Masters TV as well. Uh, yeah, I, I echo uh, Chris's thoughts. This is just a welcome addition to, you know, trying to sort through all the, the content on YouTube, some of which is crap and then some is well done. It's good to know that you can go to one place and it's all professional production values and so forth. So, yeah, I think this is great. Well, you know, I, I use YouTube for, for everything, uh, you know, from how to um, um, uh, refinish furniture or how to sharpen my chainsaw blade. 
you know, but I, I always find I'm watching three or four videos and comparing the information I get because it's not always consistent. <laughs> and, and that's, that's one thing we hope to offer is, is that everything that's on, uh, train masters has been vetted so that we know we're not misinforming people. Or if one thing we also do is give, uh, more than one perspective on how to do things. Because let's face it, there's more more than one way to skin a cat, right? So, uh, so I think I think that's one advantage that that we have over over just YouTube viewing is is that the content is is pretty uh, very, uh, pretty trust you can trust it you can trust the content I guess is what I'm saying. Are you uh, soliciting uh, suggestions from people of what they would like to see via either? the discussion forums at MRH Mag or uh, through your own site? Well, I think that's an ongoing process on several la layers because, first of all, you know, because what we're doing is so new, a lot of feedback is important for us to know whether the kind of, of programming we're doing is what people want to see. A lot of what we do is not just how-to. We have a documentary strand, which we consider to be entertainment, but it's all train related and there's also a lot of information in, in those, in those stories. Same thing with layout tours. How much, we want to know how much information people really want to get out of a layout tour. I, I found that, uh, I did a, a story on the national train show and it was, uh, about 20 minutes long and I thought that was enough. And the feedback came back that was, that was great, but can you give us more? <laughs> you know? So uh, this is what I'm finding is that, that, uh, you know, what I thought eight to ten minutes on a layout tour might be enough, uh, while the layout tour in the December um, edition is is now uh, almost 30 minutes. So uh, that's just something we've already found out from feedback is that, that people are okay to sit through a, a longer a story because, hey, it's all about us, right? You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating to us. So uh, that's one, one layer of feedback. And then the next layer of feedback is, is you know, what – kinds of clinics people want to see, for example. Now, uh, if someone says, uh, I'd like to see a clinic on, uh, you know, um, building a particular bridge or something like that, um, that's great, but we need to also be able to find someone who can come to the studio and do that clinic and show us that. Um, and we will be bringing people in from all over. Right now, our first couple of guests have been within a couple hundred miles of the studio, but... Uh, Eventually, we'll bring someone in from, you know, uh, the other side of the country if, if what they have is something that people want to see and, and they can give us a really good clinic. So it's kind of a fine balance between what people want to see and who we can find to do that to show us how to, uh, show us how to do that clinic. I think what you'll find, Barry, is – sorry, this is Jim Lincoln. Um, hadn't said very much up until this point, but – it's probably the same paradigm as with podcasts. Generally, the thoughts about podcasts are that, oh, they should be 10 or 20 minutes. But if you've ever heard anything about model railroading podcasts, people complain when they're only four hours. You know, what, you know, why, can't we, you know why can't we have longer podcasts? Because people will sit well a model listening to a podcast. And they don't care if it's four, five, six, seven hours. The guy editing it may care, but 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 the people listening to it will basically, as long as the content want you know, as long as you can make the content, they're probably satisfied with it. 
maybe a clinic doesn't want to be more than, say, an hour because people want to apply what they're seeing and then go do it. Whereas if it's really long and it's like you get kind of overwhelmed with the amount of information you're getting. Right, right. But I think what you'll find is that people are not going to complain that things are too long. They'll complain that they're too short. Well, we promise people 60 to 90 minutes of content every month, and that's original content. Uh, in the first month, we did over two hours. And I was really excited about that because it was like, hey, this is great. We can offer people, you know, as much as, much as we can uh, find uh, to give them. But, yeah, the limitation now becomes, well, how much can I actually edit in right. one month, right? But uh, certainly once we get up and rolling, and as we get more subscribers, that means more revenue and more resources, resources to do more things. Uh, I can see easily we can do two or three hours of content a month. And just so you know, just as we were speaking, because when I originally had heard about this, I had tried to sign up for it, and I wasn't able to, and just the way things are. I just signed up for it just now. <laughs> so, so you've, good, timing, you've got, good timing. You've got some catching up to do. Yes, I do, but I signed up for the Uber, you know, really cheap, um, the gold charter membership, so I don't have to worry about it for two years. So. Oh, yeah, okay. Um I did the same. (laughs) Oh, what a bargain. Well, I mean, it really is when you think about it, because if you take uh, the, I think you paid $44 for that for for a year or 80 for two years. I mean, that, yes, I mean, at $44 for a year. That's a real good sandwich. That's all I got to (laughs) say. Yeah. Or a lot of sandwiches. Well, no, that's, let's see. When I go to Disney World in the beginning of January, if I go to one particular restaurant, that's one meal. Mm. So, depends, depends, depends on where you go. It is well, Disney World, and I will say that, that that particular restaurant is worth every penny. But, oh, yes, I normally would like keel over dead spending that much money for one meal for one person. Worth every penny. So if it's nearly as good as that, Perry, you're <laughs> worth every penny, particularly at three dollars and thirty-three cents a month. Well, yeah, right now on a year subscription, I think it works out to around three sixty-five. Uh, and if you break that down into um, into you know each segment, then you're looking at maybe less than a dollar a week just just for the show itself, and then all the bonus content on top of that. Um, I mean, a dollar a week isn't is, is what a coffee, you know? I wish most people. Yeah. You know, depends on depends <laughs> depends on depends on if you get it from, uh, you know, Starbucks. Yeah. Well, you know, I also see Trainmaster TV as entertainment, not just great modeling advice too. Um, so, since since I'm one of those people that just don't subscribe to cable, that's like fifty bucks every month <laughs> that I save that I'd rather put into things like this that, you know, offer real quality content, and it's something that personally I'm really interested in. And I, it's just a better, better, it's a dollar, you know, spent in a much more sophisticated way, you know. And, and, and sorry, go ahead. And Paul. that's a, oh, okay, thank you. That's a, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> it goes back to, to Jim's earlier comment about duration of, of the subject matter. And there's a lot of really great clinics at shows, but not everybody can go to a show. I mean, we kidded around a 
well, you know, a few minutes ago that we would fly to Buffalo and then uh, Clark would come by and get us to take us to the studio. But, you know, I don't just drop four or five hundred four or five hundred dollars for an air ticket to go to a, a show, even though I'd like to see the uh, clinics and so forth. I see, you know, this a uh, potential vehicle for bringing those uh, show clinics and MRA uh, meat clinics to a broader audience. I think I've heard a figure uh, thrown around that about 20% of people in the hobby have actually been to a convention or a regional convention. So there's a huge audience out there that just isn't, yeah, it just isn't going to make that, that trip. Now, on the other hand, uh, when someone becomes a regular viewer of, of train, train masters or something like that, for example, if they're, if they're uh, used to seeing Clark on there as a host, and they find out that Clark is going to be at a convention that's maybe 300, 400 miles from them, they might say, you know what, I'm going to go to that convention because, hey, Clark's going to be there, and I know Clark from Train Masters TV. So in the end, I think this thing just brings people a lot closer together and, and makes the community bigger. I agree. I agree. And so how long before you uh, change the name to the Lionel Strang Show? <laughs> well, in Lionel's mind... <laughs> well, <laughs> It already is the Lionel Strang Show. Lionel is, ah. is one of the hosts of our clinics, and uh, I've said before that Lionel is like the big brother that puts you in a headlock and gives you a noogie, uh, uh-huh. but you love it, you know? Yeah, kind of. Is that right, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, the stories, the stories that could be told, which yeah, I don't have. I've all... There what? is not enough time. <laughs> so but, I hear. But, I've only met him a couple of times, but it's always been unique. Yeah. Lionel is one of those people that makes Train Masters TV entertaining. So, yes, it is, isn't just about learning a new skill or, or technique. It's also about that, that fellowship and the hobby. And he's a likable guy most of the time. Most of the time. You just can't remember Jim's name is the only problem Jim has. I don't think he no. can remember anyone's name except his <laughs> Okay. Uh, I just yeah. wonder what happens if he actually meets a guy named Steve. Will he want to start calling him Jim? Probably. There is no <laughs> doubt. There is Can no I call doubt. you Jim? I don't no. doubt him. Not no. at all. And he'd, he would probably say that right in front of me. So, Steve, do you mind if I call him Jim? Yeah. It's like, well, which one are you talking to? Both of you. Okay. So, Barry, I have a question for you regarding – this is Chris Palmars, by the way. Um, I, I noticed like a few months ago there was a, a call-out for for footage on people's home layouts and things. Is that still pending or is still an open call? Absolutely. That's for a segment called My Layout. Uh, My Layout actually will be de- debuting in the uh, December uh, episode. And what we like people to do is people who might normally say, you know, I'd like to make a video, a YouTube video is, uh, you know what, go ahead and shoot some of your layout. Uh, if you can find a tripod, throw the camera on a tripod or get someone to follow you around. Show us, you know, some projects that you're working on, some of the features and uh, send us the footage. And we package it into a segment called My Layout, which is hosted by uh, Jim Wright, our, our Train Masters TV host or one of them. And uh, it's a way uh, 
for people who might not have the facilities to do any editing, to, to uh, you know, get their video out there so people can see it, uh, we do all the hard work if, if you'll do the shooting for us. Okay, because at the store, uh, the railroad store where I work, we have two customers that have, you know, built their own buildings to put their model railroads in. And I'm talking about buildings that are 35 by 75 or larger. And I, I wondered because one of them's about an hour and a half north of, uh, Phoenix and the other one's in Phoenix. And I was telling people at the store about Trainmaster TV in a conversation. And these two gentlemen's, uh, layouts came to mind because just to give you a, a scope, one guy's icing platform because he's doing late 40s and so forth uh and we're talking ho it's 15 feet long i'm going who built an icing platform 15 feet long and you know so they're i'd be fascinated to see something like that so we just need to get these guys to shoot some video send it to you and see if there's any possible fit is that correct yep that's right um now, Paul, I'm just going to let you know, I am 30 feet from the railroad tracks here, and I can hear the gates going down. So there goes a uh, eastbound via train, and, and I just want to let you know because that's going to mess up your... your... No, it's not. No, it's we just like going to train add sound effects. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we've got right. to talk about that first, and then, and then it'll make a lot of sense, so... Anyway, it's gone now, so we're good to go. So, uh, yeah. Boy, he must have been flying. He was only uh, on the meter about two seconds. Yeah, they uh, they do about 60, 60. I'm a mile from the station, and they just hit the brakes as soon as they pass my house here. So, Wow. Good neighborhood. <laughs> it's a good spot. I don't miss much when I'm here working by the window. Yeah. I guess. <clears throat> so, um, Who is that? Uh, Craig uh, Martin that... There by the Fullerton Yard that oh. we were listening to trains during the interview. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that was Craig Martin good, though. from BLMA. Was... He, 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 he has that really cool condo slash office right next to a Fullerton train station, which is like a three-track main line through there. So we, we were picking up a little bit of action, too. Yeah, but that wasn't nearly as loud as what that just was. Well, I, I think gotta... that had to do with insulation on his part. <laughs> Well, I got a, a shotgun mic, and it picks up just about everything here. But uh, just so you know, I, I built a house that is a replica train station. I found a property that was a vacant lot right by the crossing here in town, and I uh, built a little brick depot. So I, yeah, so my platform, or, you know, most people might call it a deck, is four feet from, four feet from the property line. And then, uh, well, it's just, just over the hill or down the embankment and down to the, over the ditch to the track. So I'm about 30 feet from the rail there. Well, I can't wait till a stack train goes by. <laughs> That's about three miles long, yeah. Well, do you have any, at your website and stuff, are there any photos of uh, this house slash station? Uh, you know what? We're going to put some up on the Train Master site when I do a blog about it. Okay. But I, the, the first next blog I think we're going to do shortly is, is about my layout. So we can mention about, you know, how people can go there and read, read the, uh, the requirements. So uh, you were mentioning, uh, you know, these, these fellows down your way. Yeah, so that's a, a perfect uh, example of uh, somebody who's a long way from where we are. You, you know, it may take us months before we, you know, get to every corner in the country to do 
to do layout tours. So uh, if people, uh, you know, want to want to shoot their own layout and send us the footage, then uh, we'd be happy to happy to get it on the show. And hey, what Paul, I'll do, do you is, know of a gentleman out in Phoenix named Ron Ham? That's one of them that I was talking. Yeah, about. yeah, he has a fantastic layout. I, I was honored to see it back in the '90s. And um, I, I saw a YouTube clip just kind of recently that he's done a lot of work to it. It'd be cool to have have a layout tour on that. I wasn't going to broadcast his name across the country and, and spare his privacy, but yeah, that's who I was talking about. Yeah, because then now he's now kind, of, kind of obligated. You can blame me. You know, there is the magic of editing. You can always edit that out. Oh no, no. I want to hold it over Chris's head. Oh, well, there you are. Hey, that's fine. He probably doesn't even remember me. <laughs> there's always there's always a way. Okay, well, good. I will pass this on to these gentlemen. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll probably post uh, on the Train Master site uh, later in December in the blog post area uh, a little bit on uh, how people can get involved and, and, what, and what we'd like them to do for us to make sure that the footage turns out as good as it can for the show. Okay. Now, have you considered, because what I'm thinking of here is, like, segments that are behind the scenes, like, that gives people a glimpse of just how you do what you do. Not the subject, but from the perspective of you guys going about what you do, the editing and so forth. Are you going to share any of that with us? I think what you might see is, and probably more likely on our Facebook page, you'll see, you know, some some uh, still shots of, of things okay. in production. Um, but you know what? What we do is not really that much different than than any other TV show. Um, so I don't know if, if people are interested in seeing that. Maybe further down the road, we'll do a little behind the scenes thing. Um, okay. Of course, that means someone's shooting me while I'm doing the shooting. So <laughs> that's that, right. That's yeah. an extra project. But some people have suggested they'd like to see uh, behind the scenes, actually, of of uh, a club going to a show, preparing, or transporting, setting up. Oh, and you know what? Okay. I mean, you think if you're someone who does that on a regular basis, you don't really think about that that's that exciting or glamorous. But, you know, it's it's actually a good example of reality TV to see yes. to see people doing something real like that and, and some of the drama <laughs> that goes on in that process. Okay. And the other idea one that too was uh, actually having a manufacturer when they go to do say one of the big uh, four or five major shows in North America, what it takes for a manufacturer to get ready to to go to one of these shows, especially a a small, you know, basically, you know, basement manufacturer. Yes. Well, because I can tell you from the perspective of a railroad car builder going to, like, the national show and setting up an outdoor exhibit and, you know, being one of the younger guys on the sales and marketing team, you know, there's a lot of work. And it's 12 inches to the foot scale, but I imagine that translates very closely to what an Athern or a Plano or, you know, some of those guys go through. Or a micro scale. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Chris, you can tell us about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, but maybe yeah. maybe Microscale will be the the people we'll pick to follow. Well, well, we'll see. <laughs> now, now that we have it in with Microscale, it it is amazing. Um, I don't think the general public 
understands the the issues with all this as far as the transportation, the cost, the amount that it costs to for staff to be uh, basically housed for four days, the transportation. It it is a uh, quite an undertaking for any of these manufacturers to go to a you know a large show. Just and, to get an uh, just to get an outlet to plug in sometimes is a big uh, a big issue. Yes. Yep. It's true. Or even Wi-Fi. All the bureaucracy that goes into that. Good grief. And the cost. That's one of the big problems I think we're seeing. I know up here in for train shows, especially any sort of one with uh, a large size commitment and and wanting to put on a true, really good high-end train show is the cost of exhibitor space and the cost of, of putting on such an event. You almost can't run it. And people say, well, why can't we have a fantastic train show? And you go, well, would you pay 25 bucks to get in? And they look at you like you're nuts. You know, but the cost of, of renting space today has become become crazy. And that's one of the things that I hope we can do, by the way, with train masters is to um, is to help uh, bring more people into those shows so that, you know, that helps to make the ticket price a little more affordable to help to promote them. Um, I know we'll be at Springfield. Uh, in January, doing some reports from there, and the plan is to do uh, an Aerogate show next year, and of course the National. And here in Canada, we we go to the Ottawa Expo, which uh, almost got cancelled this year because of those issues that Clark was talking about, just the cost of doing it and the cost of putting on a, a high-end show. So anything we can do for those shows to to help, you know, bring people more people in, show people what they're missing, uh, you know, we we feel honored to be able to do that. So you take the the Phoenix market. Uh, we lived out here nine years, and the first year we moved here, uh, there was a national show came to town, and they had it out at a real good facility, uh, same place they do the Barrett Jackson Auto Auctions in Scottsdale. So I went out there, paid my twenty five dollars, and that was one. The show was miserable because it was just uh, no large manufacturer support, and there's never been another one. So, you know, you get certain parts of the country, and there's a, a real dearth of uh, opportunities to go to a show. It's surprising for a, a city as big as Phoenix that there's really nothing railroad-related there. How many millions of people are there now? Barry, I actually was wondering, they, uh, a modular layout, would that qualify for my layout? Oh, for sure, any layout. Um, you know, even a, a club a club that only sets up their layout a few times a year at a show, if they want to take a camera to the show while it's set up and, and show us while trains are actually running, absolutely, for sure. Because that's one thing we have besides the the large established clubs like Thunderbird and Scottsdale, we have a growing number of FEMA I'm sorry, Freema, not FEMA. Good grief. <laughs> Freemo, there we go, right where Freemo uh, modular outlets that are quite visible like at some of the seasonal shows. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Chris. Well, you know, I, I know people who just build structure kits. They, they don't have a layout. They really don't have more than a couple locomotives on a shelf somewhere. 
And I would even like to see that. What's on your workbench right now that you're doing, you know, today that you that you want to show us, you know? Uh, as long as it's model railroad related, people can send us a video of it. Yeah. Picture somebody with a ball-peen hammer getting ready to take it out on a locomotive that frustrates him. So do you what? have any suggestions on how to film it? What, what sort of equipment that people should be looking into for filming, like, my layout or whatever projects they have on their bench? Well, this is what I'll, uh, I'll put in the uh, blog post in, in December so people can read it and review on it, review it. But uh, all we ask is that you get a fairly decent camera. And you know what? Everybody seems to have an iPhone or a camera on their phone nowadays. So I think you can even use that as long as it's quiet in the room so we can hear what you're saying, as long as the audio is clear. And most people will watch bad video as long as they can hear what's going on. So audio is really important. If you can put it on a tripod or something so it's steady, and if you're doing it yourself, just mount it on a tripod and frame yourself up in front of it and record and, and start talking. That's all you have to do. And then after that, uh, if you can go around and just shoot 10 seconds, 15 seconds of, of scenes from around the layout or some trains running by, again, if it's on a tripod, and nice and steady, even better. But, you know, it doesn't have to be as long as as long as you can hold the, the camera fairly steady. And, you know, just give us a couple minutes of talking about your layout and, and any features on it. And then just give us maybe, I don't know, 20, 20 two dozen good shots of, uh, of the room and, and, and the models. And then uh, folks can either send us the tape or the card, and we'll ship the tape or the card back, or we'll make arrangements so you can upload the footage, and we can just do it over the Internet. But uh, if anyone wants to, wants to get involved, they can uh, email me at areastrainmasters.tv, and uh, we'll have an email conversation and get it started. Okay, very good. I'm getting a little feedback from someone. Your frame is lighting up, Jimmy. How can my frame be lighting up? I had myself on mute. I don't know. Okay, well. It just cleared up. What can I tell you? Oh, well, okay, then apparently it doesn't. I thought maybe you're talking to Lionel on the side. No, no, I have uh, two small dogs, and one of them came and said, you know, if you don't let me out right now, <laughs> I think you're going to be very displeased. Okay, I can accept that. You made a good choice. All right. So I'm curious, Barry, how many months in advance are you shooting? Like December, You is that already in the can, so to speak? Uh, the December show was shot, let's see. Actually, some of it was actually shot in October. Oh, wow. Okay. But our uh, our featured documentary was shot back in uh, end of September. Uh, I started shooting pretty much around the time of the National Train Show in Atlanta. But there are times when I'll be shooting stuff, uh, shooting footage for stories, just, you know, uh, some extra shots just to finish it off, maybe even a week before it airs. And to tell you the truth, I don't actually know what's going in the January show completely right now. So I I'm sure that'll change as, as uh, you know, we catch up to, um, you know, some of the feedback or what people want. But, uh, yeah, it's it's almost by the seat of my pants, it feels like some days, you know. But that's okay. that's great because it keeps it fresh and it keeps it vital. And uh, you know we'll be shooting uh, the show in Amherst, in Massachusetts, and that footage will be going in probably in the show the following following week. So, you know nothing is nothing is very stale. Okay. And this is, you know, kind of basic. I should have asked this early. Uh, is this this is all 1080 uh, progressive? Is that the format you're doing on the video? Yeah, I shoot in full 1080 high definition. Right now, the 
the movies that get uploaded to the site are actually uh, 720, the, okay. the smaller cousin. But we found that most people can't see the difference, and it it uh, you know it means a lot less data to have to upload and for sure. for viewers to have to download for really not much much difference. That'll that'll, okay. that'll change as as technology changes, I'm sure. But right now everything is shot in 1080. Okay. So it's nice and crisp, and you know everyone everyone who's on camera is wearing a lav mic, uh, so we pick up their sound clearly. So it it's uh, it's shot on the same level as a TV show, and and if a, a smaller network approached me and said, you know, we'd like to air this somewhere somewhere down the road, then we we are actually meeting the standards for network broadcast. Okay. Very good. I'm glad to see that level of you know, production standard uh, being used for, uh, you know, for the model railroad hobby. And I think that's uh, very significant. Well, that's that's the world that I come from. I come from a broadcast world. And it, actually, it's kind of refreshing that some of the standards for doing it on the Internet are a little lower because I can put my resources into into other areas rather than tweaking everything to get it, you know, 100 and 101% to where it okay. needs to be, right? So sometimes yeah. sometimes you can let things slip on the technical side in order to spend the time doing something else, like maybe making better graphics or searching out some better better stock footage. So that's okay. that's refreshing for me. All right. The other thing that's, uh, the other thing that's nice about doing it on the level we're doing it as opposed to broadcast is that not everything has to be vetted to death by a whole chain of people before it goes to air. Uh, I've worked on shows where, you know, you produce something and everybody likes it, everybody on the crew likes it, and then you send it to the network and they go, well, you know, we want you to change this or that. And, you know, that really slows down the process. And it takes a lot of the, a lot of the good energy out of it. Whereas here, uh, you know, we all kind of know all the way down the chain from Joe Fugate at the magazine uh, to me, to people on the forums who are already giving us feedback, it's like we kind of already know what we want to get out of it, so we don't have to go through all that whacking it with a with a hammer, uh, which ends up, I think, taking a lot of the fun out of it, and it takes sometimes takes a lot of of good things out where you know you would have put that in, but somebody doesn't like it, so it's got to come out. Okay, I think a good example of that is the the opening for the December show, uh, the My Layout segment where you'll see uh, our, our MyLayout participant, Greg Wayman, is talking about, um, well, I, I don't want to do too many spoilers, but he's talking about uh, working with his wife and some of the things he doesn't have to do uh, to hide his hobby from his wife because they enjoy it together. Uh, when you see that clip and you see his comment, you know, some people at a TV network would say, oh, we can't say that. But I think, you know, in our little group, we get the joke, and uh, I don't think anyone's going to be offended by it. Is there anything else that, that you want to get out in the form of, the, of this podcast that you want people to know? Uh, I mean, we've asked questions, but is there something we've missed that you want to communicate to the potential viewers and so forth? I think what I'm going to say has a lot to do with people's perception of of what they're going to get out of Train Masters. Because uh, I, th I think as a small group, we have low expectations sometimes about um, what uh, media should do for this hobby. 
And I, I think if people go into training masters expecting, okay, this is going to be like sitting down and watching a TV show. It's not going to be like YouTube. It's not going to be like a, a video classroom. Uh, it's going to be entertaining. And, and, and approach it like a TV show so that I'm going to be entertained, but I'm going to come back with maybe something new about the hobby that I didn't know or about fellow hobbyists that I didn't know. It's, it's, I think, something completely different from anything anyone has ever done in media in, in the model railroad hobby. And, and I think if people are prepared for that, then uh, we'll meet their expectations. Great. But um, I, honestly, Barry, I don't think people are. And that's not a bad thing. I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's a bad thing because people are accustomed to YouTube and, you know, the videos you may buy. And, you know, you, you know, clinic video is a clinic video. You sit there, you watch it. It's not – it's entertaining to a point, but you're wanting to learn something. There's a big difference between – and I haven't watched any of it yet. But there's a big difference between a TV show and what modelers have been accustomed to and accept. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. It's just that's not what anybody is expecting. I think, you know, once they get used to it, they'll, you know, expect it. But that also gives you, like you said, a much greater leeway because you don't have to fulfill the expectations of the masses who expect TV to be perfect. And uh, that's not what most modelers expect, I think. And I, I think where we are now, being only in our second month, I think, uh, you know, we're at a, a jumping off point and just seeing what flies, you know. Right. And and I, I think we're way ahead. In some ways, I, I, I often think that, that what we're trying to do is kind of behind the curve. People are already been doing this that kind of type of thing. People have been doing vidcasts for a long time. But I think we're kind of ahead of the rest of the world as far as doing it on the level that we're doing it. And there's so many things that we can do with this. We're just getting started, you know. We will never run out of ideas for stories. We will never run out of layouts to tour. And certainly we'll never run out of, of, of clinic the clinic uh, people to come and show us how to do things. It's just how we want to present it and what resources we have uh, to get as much of it out there as possible. You know, I think um, the the whole idea of the backshot clinic is taking a while for us to find guests because no one's ever done anything like this before, right? And until they see it and see, oh, this is this is what you want to do. You want me to come there? I don't have to actually be on camera and run the whole show. There's a host there who's going to help you know, keep things rolling at a nice pace. I think until people actually see what the experience of being a guest clinician is, uh, once they see that, I think we'll have people lining up to do it. But until until people see this new thing that we're doing, it's going to be hard to relay that to them to get them to, um, you know, leave their house and come and show us how to do some stuff. Right. Uh, I, I found it fascinating. I was at Marty McGurk's for an operating session. And they were, and this was just, ooh, August? I want to say August, something like that. No, no, September. And uh, there were people there discussing, oh, there's this new thing called Model Railroad Hobbyist. You know, and it's like, I'm like, how can anybody not know what this is? <laughs> how does anybody not know it? But, you know, I listen to podcasts. I've been listening to it for three years. I've been, and, you know, I just, I know about it. But it's like, you know, people in the hobby you know, are just 
Oh, I don't want to say they they a lot of them, not all of them, obviously. A lot of them are kind of behind the times and they're like, "Oh, really? You can do that?" Well, yeah, actually. <laughs> you know, it's it's very new. Very new to a lot of people in the hobby. But I think that's the exciting part about this, Jim. I mm. think by having uh, MRH and Barry's uh, um, ideas about drawing people into that and the, in a new medium, even though, like you say, it's been around for a while, I think it's really going to be a positive about model railroading. And I think, you know, I, I've seen it a couple times uh, before, and I'm sure... Um, the guys who have worked in a store see it. Guys come in and go, I'd really like to do this, but I don't know how to get there. And if we can help them over that hurdle, if we can show them in a visual and in a instructional way to get them over that hurdle, I think you're going to see a lot more people doing more in the hobby than just ready-to-run stuff. I agree wholeheartedly. In fact, I think the the younger generation is looking towards Mall Railroad Hobbyist e-zine as well as Trainmaster TV as a source for, you know, learning things. I agree. I agree, Chris. Because I think that, you know, the younger generation, you know, even though this is a topic that's played around in the podcast quite a bit about the death of the hobby and and we had Joe Fugate on talking about how he doesn't even think that's remotely close to happening because it's all moved to the Internet. So all the people who are the quote-unquote movers and shakers in the hobby don't see it because they're not really involved with it yet. And and the younger generation are more interested in electronics and computers. and And if you can convince them that, yes, you can learn about it by doing this, and you can learn these these other skills and still apply what you like to this hobby. It disguise the limit. I agree. The trick uh, I'd like to, to I'd like to see more young guys on Trainmaster TV. Actually, they just started for crying out loud. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. You're complaining, and it's only two months I'm not old. Complaining. <laughs> I'm just making a, a positive mention there. We've, we've got actually some young guys uh, that I know who are very, very good modelers, and I think you're going to see, hopefully, them on a, on a future cast that we're going to do. And I've got an idea that, uh, actually, I wanted to talk to Barry about. But we'll we'll bring all that in. I'm sure uh, Barry's, Barry's very agreeable to a lot of ideas that I've had because we just seem to be on the same page, so... We'll probably see that, eh, Barry? Funny you should mention this, because I was talking to a fellow at a show the other day, a young punk, who um, who does graffiti, and he does it all by hand. And and he, he said, I don't like decals because it looks like decals, right? And he's sitting there painstakingly painting N-scale boxcars with graffiti, and it looks fantastic, right? But for him, something that he can buy is not good enough. And I love to see that. I love to see people that go, I'm just not going to buy something and slap it on there. I have higher standards than that. So I've invited him to come on the show and show us. And I said, you know, I said to him, I said, you know, probably 99% of people who see this are not going to do their own graffiti, but they need to see what you do. Well, it's also the techniques that you can learn from doing that that can apply to weathering or, you know, sign painting or whatever else that that are applicable, you know. Well, this is, this is what I find. Um, 
I'll give you a good example is people I've gone to layout tours with people and, and we've gone down the list and I said, Oh, I'd like to see this. And they said, Oh no, you don't want to see that. That's not a great layout. But you know, when I went there, uh, you know, the layout may have had some things that I didn't like about it, but there were always things that I could learn. For example, one fellow had double deck bench work and it gave me a really good idea of how narrow you can make an aisle before you feel claustrophobic. How high is a good height for bench work? So even though what he was doing on the bench work might not have been of interest to me, um, being able to get ideas from that, I, I never turn back anything because, because it's not what I like to do. You know, there's always something you can find in somebody's modeling that you can apply to what you do. So do you think there's still room for cutting up boxcars or something like that and kit bashes, or is that just kind of been taken over by RTR and not really interesting to, like, a TV show? Well, I, I don't know. I'm still interested in that kind of thing, and, and I like to assume that what I would like to see is what our, our viewers would like to see um, and go from there. Uh, Joe from the magazine, he suggested that we should have a segment on super detailing locomotives, and, you know, I'd love to see that. I I know that a lot of manufacturers are trying to model, you know, bring up models of specific locomotives, but there's still lots of room out there for, for people who want to, you know, even add details to an existing model to, to make it uh, match a particular prototype. So I think there's always room for something like that. But I, I, I mean, would I would I would say about the whole, you know, kit bashing, you know, boxcars, the manufacturers are not going to make everything that's out there. They're just there's too many, in, at least in my opinion, there are too many prototypes. And eventually, in many ways, it's a dying, that may be a dying art because, it, you know, people, the new people coming into it may look it up, oh, man, I like that. Oh, there isn't a ready-to-run model. Well, I can't do it. Well, sure you can. It's just, it's not in your face in the media as much anymore because not as many people do it because there's so many ready-to-run options. But that doesn't mean it isn't a skill that everybody shouldn't be able to do and having something like this to say, okay, here's a video on how to do it. You say, okay, well, I've got this box car that I want. I don't, I, there is, nobody makes it, but there's these other pieces that I can use to build it. Well, let me go see, let me go look at train masters because I remember there was this episode and maybe I can figure out how to do it myself. Well, you know, maybe that we should be trying to bring back some of the joy of of building something with your own hands, you know? That can apply to other scales. If you, It doesn't really matter if the guy's building an HO. If if it gets some synapses going and someone in N-scale sees it, hey, I have a similar boxcar or whatever, I could do this in N-scale and make up this whole series of things that just isn't available, you know? Yeah, I really, I really see that the scale... Sometimes it's something you have to overcome, uh, Chris. You know, just because if you do something in old scale, people go, well, I'm an HO. But you say, well, don't think of it as just because that we showed you something in old scale. Don't be afraid to translate the skills, the technique, into other scales. And I and I see that quite often at, at shows and stuff. People will come and look at me and go, oh, that's really cool, but I don't model that, and they move on. And they don't take the time to say, hmm, I see that skill. How can I apply it to my my particular segment of the hobby? And uh, I see that quite often, um, and I kind of get a little frustrated with it. And I know Barry said the same thing about layouts. Um, when you go to see a layout, it may not be your 
cup of tea, it may you may be a standard gauge guy and it's a narrow gauge layout. But you can look at it and go, wow, there's a fantastic idea. There's an excellent idea. That's not something I would try because it wouldn't work for me. But don't just dismiss the the layout because it's not your genre or your era or your whatever or even scale yeah but people people do that clark and you know oh i know (laughs) i mean you know that and i think one of the interesting things about this this exact question that chris brings up and that you could do uh in a particularly a you know high quality production say okay we're going to build this car in o scale why because you'll be able to see it better when we do it. As we do this project, you're going to be able to see what we're doing in O-Scale, and there are fewer options in O-Scale. So, but here is the car in HO, and you can do the exact same thing. Yes. You know, we'll, we we'll, do. Show, yeah, we'll show you the car in HO when we're done showing you the steps in O-Scale. We'll go through the steps in O-Scale so it's more visible, but then we'll show you the car in HO and N-Scale to see that these these are the same things done the same way just you know with just so you can see it better yeah and we you, you could do that yeah i agree and we do that like in the model with the master series we offer pretty well like if we're doing a laser kit we look for a laser kit that is available basically n right through to o it's kind of fun the guy who's building the o scale laser kit will look over at the n scale guy and go you, I got more scrap than you have in the whole kit. <laughs> but um, uh, it's true. I mean, people look at scale and go, "Well, I'm not in that scale." But don't, don't do that. Look, look beyond that. Look at the the whole thing, and and I think you'll really open up a a great, you know. And that's that's true. The 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 neat thing about what what Barry's doing with Train Masters is it's going to be thousands of people are going to be able to see it, just not the 20 people in Modeling with the Masters. Oh, yes. That, and that's, and that's, that's I, I, kind of... I totally agree. You know, it's funny because an N-scale guy taught me how to do my own molds and casting. And it, it didn't matter the scale. A mold's a mold. A casting's a casting. <laughs> you know, it could be any scale. And I'll tell you, I, I think as far as modular layouts, you you want to talk about a big change coming, and, and you guys touched on it earlier when we were talking, is Fremo. I think Fremo is going to really change how modular railroading and whether it be club aspect or, or other aspect, and especially when it comes to shows, that is going to change how modular railroads are built from now on. I, I did this presentation for the PSR on Fremo. It's Fremo past, present, and future. And I kind of wanted to turn it into a, a, a video that, you know, maybe potentially either put on YouTube or submit to Trainmaster TV. Um, but it, it's cool to hear that you say that. Oh yeah, I I'm involved with the Fremo group here in the the Toronto area. You know, having gone to the last few nationals, especially in Grand Rapids, they had a very large setup in Fremo. Um, that was fantastic, and I think um, that is really going to be a a boon to the hobby. I think it's going to be a boon to get younger guys in. I think you're going to just see it uh, really expand. Uh, 
what people can do as far as modulars. And I think you're going to see that the layout at shows increase in um, quality. I really do. Well, well, it's great to hear you say that. Uh, we have something going on down in the southwest here. We got a couple guys from Phoenix Paul's area that come out, and you know, it, it'd be kind of neat to figure out a way to integrate all this and submit things to Trainmaster TV as far as modular. And you know, I know Les Halmos is in MRH. He he's a, a big mover and shaker of Fremo up there in Canada. So yeah. it, it's really cool to hear. No, I I I think that's uh, going to be the big new, and it's not so new, but I think that's going to be one of the big draws in the near future is Fremo. Well, tell me about your studio location, Barry. We keep hearing the trains go by. Uh, well, uh, two years ago, I two years ago I built a house that is pretty much a turn of the century depot replica. I'm I'm about 30 feet from the tracks, the CN main line between Toronto and Montreal, and we see probably about 30 trains a day and at night, which I can tell you it took me a long time to learn how to sleep through them. Not because they're loud, but because, hey, there's the novelty of a train going by at 2 o'clock in the morning and you want to see what's what's on it, right? Um, but uh, we, I, I built a studio in the basement and in the workshop section about uh, actually – only a quarter of the building is dedicated to living space, and the rest is shop space and studio space. So I have five different what I call micro sets here. For they're basically studio sets for shooting things like the DCC decoded clinic and the backshop clinic. Uh, we've got a wood shop here for doing any kind of uh, benchwork projects, and uh, we've got a green screen for for what, that we use for the my layout se- segment. So it's. It's essentially a, a full-up studio, just a very micro-sized studio. But yeah, you may hear once in a while when I'm talking on a, on a Skype mic, you'll hear a train go by and say, what the heck was that, <laughs> if you're not used to it. Yeah, well, see, I don't see that as a detriment. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I love to watch trains, but I'm not the kind of person to take a scanner and a camera and sit in a car on a Saturday trackside you know, to see a few trains. What I love about it is I can go out and cut my grass and work in my garden and watch trains at the same time and, and kind of multitask. That's but it's called uh, cheating. That's <laughs> cheating. It, uh, I mean, it does present some problems, certainly when we're shooting sometimes. Occasionally you can hear one rumble by or, or when I'm editing, if I'm doing an audio mix, I'll have to stop for two minutes and, and, and you know, stop stop editing and go watch a train. But, it's not the worst thing in the world. No, it's not. I, I think it's a lot worse to be close enough to the tracks to hear the trains, but far enough away to not see them. Mm, yeah. And and for guests who come here, you know, um, it's a nice little perk. When we take a break, we go out and sit in the chair if it's warm enough. We go sit in the chair outside and watch some trains go by, you know. Not Nothing a bad thing. We were – we spent some time in Atlanta and – we were the uh, townhouse we leased down there for a short term was right off Emory's uh, Emory University campus, and so I wake up that first morning and I and I'm hearing, as far as I knew, it was nothing but Woodland Park behind this uh, complex, and I'm hearing this low rumble of a GE diesel, and I asked my, I said, "Where's that coming from?" And she goes, "Sounds like out the back." 
you know, because they were all rearing through garages. I didn't go out there and hidden in the trees and stuff. I guess a lead to a good-sized yard there in Atlanta, and I could, when I was looking for it, then I could see the tracks and see the locomotives, and so I knew what to, when I heard it, it was time to go to the back windows and watch the trains go by. Well, I, I just love it here. I um, The other day, there was a Burlington Northern Santa Fe unit through, which, which there seemed to be quite a few of them on CN trains right now, and uh, I went out to take a photo of it, and the conductor climbed down the the steps in the front of the unit and handed me the the uh, paperwork out of the BNSF unit that was from somewhere in Wisconsin where it had been like three days earlier. So it's nice to get those little perks and, and you know, get to those, get those little treats. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Now, uh, how does this, uh, you, you're building a layout too, aren't you? Or is that kind of on the back burner while you're doing the train master TV thing? Well, the funny thing is, after I built the house, I immediately thought, well, I now get to build that layout that I've always wanted to build. And there was a sale at the lumber yard on, on pine at 12 cents a foot. And I, you know, I couldn't resist that. So I brought a whole truckload of pine home and into the basement. And about two months later, suddenly I was going to be using the basement as a TV studio. Uh-huh. So, uh, I mean, the pine is now in the way, but I think uh. there's... There's probably enough room in, in the back end of the basement now to build, start building uh, uh, my layout. And, and then we can use that as a demonstration test bed for you know, any kind of segments we do where we want to demonstrate things. So right. in time, that, that pine will get used mm-hmm. for sure. And while I know the answer to this question, uh, so you're going to be uh, modeling uh, CN, are you? Oh, you're silly. <laughs> uh, you know what i'm one of these people that grew up around cncp and and everybody modeled cncp and you know sometime in my 30s i decided that you know i've, I've done enough of that and uh it's funny i went to a show in buffalo at the time and and was looking at some stuff on someone's table and and uh he said well what are you looking for i said well something a little different and he and he pointed at a cn and locomotive and said well how about this one <laughs> Uh, but i uh i like uh appalachian modeling so probably i'll be modeling somewhere in west virginia and it looks like it'll be norfolk southern in the early 90s but i i'm also i also like the color that was around when csx uh was coming out of the chessie system years and you got you know a bit of everything western maryland and grand trunk stuff in there you know that I like that mishmash of, of paint schemes too, and and now that I don't have to do as much painting because a lot more things come ready to run, uh, right. you know I, I might go that direction. See, I grew up in West Virginia in a CNO town, so uh, we had back then Norfolk Western coming out of the Bluefield uh, area with the coal mines. It had the where I went to high school out in the middle of nowhere the. The line came out of the Logan Division full of uh, uh, coal cars. Ford headed into Huntington and all the river docks. So, yeah, the uh, that Technicolor's chassis system that, uh, you know, scheme they developed and started applying in uh, about 72. Train break. <laughs> Train break. That was a couple of GEs. Yeah. yeah looks like a mixed break going eastbound to Montreal right now. Well, it's cars. Yeah, so anyway, I mean, yeah, West Virginia coal, that's a lot of... 
I'm just going to turn the mic down. There you go. <laughs> okay. But no, that's uh, interesting uh, railroading there. So I just like you guys talk amongst yourselves for about two minutes. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch trains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. We lost Barry. Yeah. Heaven forbid. Uh, uh, yeah. Forbid makes... Watch a train while doing a model railroad podcast. Hmm. That's right. That's just wrong. Wrong. Hey, so many wait levels. On so many levels. Um, so Paul, uh, are, are you gonna host the? The live podcast from the Portland 2015 convention here. I think we ought to. That that'd be kind of cool. So it's when 2015. 2015 over in Portland. So you Is so you Oregon? can imagine the MRH uh, dominance over in that area. Oh gosh, yeah, that's where all those guys. Yeah, live. that's what I'm saying. I think it might be a pretty cool podcast or even a Trainmaster TV segment. <laughs> or Trainmaster TV segment of the podcast being recorded. Yeah. Oh, how thrilling, how thrilling that would be. Yeah, Jim, we got to get you a ticket. Get you oh, a ticket. Okay. And you just said it. We'll get you a, We'll get you a special guest host. I will. Be you. I will be there in a second if someone else pays the ticket to get there. I'll, okay, pay, I'll well, pay the rest of it. Let's see if we can set up a uh, tax-exempt uh, C3 corporation that people can donate to, there the Jim Plane Fund. Or, or what we could do is, like, create a real big buzz and get, use, like, what is it, get – was it the, the, the Get Started money donating campaign or whatever? Oh, yeah. Get Jim to Portland 2015. Yeah, Kickstarter. Bust. <laughs> yeah. Uh, get, get you with, you know, a hitchhiking thing. <laughs> yeah, Barry can do segments live from the road with Jim hitchhiking to Portland. <laughs> hitchhiking to Portland. Uh, oh, how fun. No, I think, you know, if I was going to do that, I'd take the train. So at least, yeah. At least, at least as a railroad employee, I have a hope of possibly riding for free. The only problem is it takes too long to get there with the amount of time I have off from work. Right. Uh, it's, you know, it's more it's more time off from work than anything else. But I think uh, if we recorded it on a Saturday, I could go out for a weekend. But how, how stupid is that? Go all the way to thinking Portland, Oregon for a weekend. That's just silly. Uh, I don't know, man. I think you might like Portland. I think I might too. Like I said, I think I said this before. I was gonna, uh, uh, I was really wanting to apply for um, the Tacoma Rail. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, but at the time, my uh, mom was, we, she had just been diagnosed with cancer, and I couldn't leave. So you know, I was just like, I was gonna put my application in, and I said, if I ever got accepted. I, I'd feel awful, so I just I never finished the application process. Um, but no, I was really interested because the railroad's relatively small, and it's like I, you're not going very far. So uh, paid fairly well. seemed seemed like it would be interesting. Uh, but uh, uh, I had some interesting thing to talk to Barry about, and I have forgotten it. Stinking trains. Well, I'm I'm back now anyway. I didn't I didn't want to want to interrupt your conversation in case you were going to use any of that. So. No, 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 no. I understand. It's a stinking train. I was going to ask you something, and then a stupid train showed oh. up. 
Yeah, yeah where train. Down those trains. If I could remember he, what it kept, was, yeah. the train showed up and I forgot what it was. We started talking about something else. Oh, Barry had mentioned that he was going to look at, oh. like, some eastern coal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, uh, I was just uh, at an operating session at uh, Mike Conf Loans. Now, if you ever come down to do, of course, you know, like the Mike Conf Loan magazine almost, but um, if you ever come down over there to do anything with Train Masters, I'll, at least he's not very far away. Um but uh, I was mentioning to him because he has, you know, he is a freelance railroad, and it's all Allagash motive power. And I said, I want to, you know, I said, I'd like to come here and have my, because I, I, I've, I've modeled in Proto 48. Right now I'm working in N scale. I'm kind of trying to stay mostly away from HO to not get sucked into that hole again. Um, and But what I kind of wanted to do was... Uh, you know, because he has all this Allagash stuff, and it's like, you know, you ought to throw some color in here. So I'd like to bring just one Chessy locomotive. And there, actually, I, I can back that up because um, on uh, Broken Knuckle Productions, uh, actually very good videos, extremely good. There's not very many railroad videos that I can sit and watch without... Broken Knuckle Video. Broken Knuckle Productions. Broken Knuckle Productions. Uh, and the the title is Montreal's Machines. It's uh, two episodes, two volumes, Montreal's Machines. And it's uh, a lot of the old videos that I forget the gentleman who took the videos, but when they went rail fanning up, you know, around Sherbrooke and Montreal, and they were following the, um, the MLW uh, locomotives in um, the early 80s. Late 70s, early 80s, up in, you know, uh, Newport, Vermont, and all these places. And uh, on one of the scenes uh, through Quebec, uh, they chased this um, train with four M630s or M636s on it. And they had two lease power units on one of them. Uh, one of them was Chessy, and the other one was CNO, I think. So you've got a Chessy system unit up in either Quebec or Maine, which is where his railroad is. So there's... There is precedent for it because his railroad, while it is a freelanced railroad, it is based heavily on prototype practice. And if he can't justify something, he doesn't do it. He'll he'll pull stuff off the railroad if he can't justify it. He doesn't just put it on there because he likes it. So it takes an incredible amount of discipline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't give that level of discipline. Yeah, uh, I mean, but you know. And what that came to was, you know, he had this little short line that was doing way more than a short line than it had any business doing. And so that's why he came up with the idea of doing the Allagash so that he could do what he wanted, but in a proto-freelance way. And it's all believable. You know, it's it's a very believable railroad. Um, very fun to operate. Very real. The scenery is magnificent. Doesn't matter what he do, what he does. It's magnificent. Um, but I, you know, you need some color in here. So I want to bring a. I would like to detail up and and weather a Chessy GP40-2. You know, just to have running through on trains up on his railroad. So, because I like the Chessy, but I'll never model it. It's you know, I'm not that much into it, but. Uh, the first locomotive I was ever on, I was uh, Owings Mills, Maryland, 
Uh, we were waiting at the little station there, and the uh, local showed up, and the, the crew invited me up into the locomotive and uh, when I was uh, 13, 14 years old, something like that. And, I was, and they were going to give me a ride into Baltimore. And I was with somebody who was not from the area, and I said, I can't go, I can't. He'll never find me. <laughs> so, so I appreciate the offer, but I, I would be lost forever. Um, but uh, so you know, it's the, the whole Chessie GP40-2 has got. I've always always loved that paint scheme, but I don't know enough about it to model it. Amazing how one experience like that can really stick to you. You know. Yep, yep. I've got the pictures somewhere. I mean, I I took a lot of pictures of that locomotive. Um, but, uh, yeah, Owens Mills, Maryland, that's uh, the only way that you would ever remember that is I think one of the PBS programs was produced in Owens Mills, Maryland. So I was like, oh, Owens Mills, I know what that itty bitty little place. Yeah, it was auto week, I think, or motor week. Could have been. Yeah. I, no, I think, I don't know. Maybe it was, or, or there was one other like financial one or something. I don't know. Don't remember a long time ago. Continuing on, moving on. Well, I remember uh, in the early 90s, we would have a lot of pool power from the CSX come out to California. Mm-hmm. And um, I also remember some uh, LNN, GP38-2s cruising out here quite a bit. And that was, that was a neat experience because it, everything's kind of patched, CSX, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it weathered up all the heck, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was a neat. It was a neat time. Yeah. Now I have video. I went to Pittsburgh, and admittedly, I was in CSX country, but uh, I went to Pittsburgh, and one of the rail, one of the freights I caught was, um, I think it was a Chessie unit, you know, unpatched, unpatched Chessie unit with a B&O, GP38. I think it was like, oh wow, cool. The good old days before everything's painted. And everything looked the same. Everything, you know, basically everything is a wide nose diesel now. Which, coming as a crew member, they're great. Love wide nose wide nose diesels as a crew member. Not so much as a as a rail fan, but do they ride well? Very, very comfortable. Generally speaking, I mean, the older ones obviously are rattly, and the only ones that don't are the ST seventy ACEs. Or they call it they they're not called Thunder Cabs for nothing. <laughs> so they're loud. Oh baby, yeah. It, I mean, they would make an SD forty two seem quiet. So, but yeah, the, well, no, the, the the modern ones, you know, the AC the AC four, uh, no, not the the ES forty fours and the AC forty four hundreds are very quiet. Well, all this talk of Jesse locomotives has caused me to throw all my Norfolk Southern stuff on eBay while you were talking. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good for you. Good for you. You're the one that brought it up, actually. <laughs> well, if you want to do that, Barry, I've got a couple of uh, high hood uh, Norfolk Western ones in the uh, pre-Southern merger scheme, and then one is a lightly weathered uh, bicentennial. So if you're still wanting to do that, I can package them up and send them up to you. Actually, that's just probably just before my the era I'm, I'm modeling, so. Okay. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, things might get backdated as it goes on, right? You can't, you run out of things to do, so yeah, that's true. You'd always patch it for Conrail or something like that, or HL. Who's at uh, HLIG or HLIX Helms Leasing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, HL. Yeah, HLCX. HLCX. There you go. That's right. Ask the prototype railroader amongst us. He will not. Oh, well, what are you gonna do? I it's know. A James is my railroad Google. It's a curse. Uh, well, I think we're waning here, guys. Okay. So, so we're to waning. wrap it, to maybe wrap it all up, maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, guests for the Backshop Clinic. Sure. Okay. So, uh, how do you go about selecting guests for your Backshop Clinic? Well, uh, anyone who. Um, Anyone who's interested in doing a backshop clinic with us should probably uh, get in contact with us. Right now, we're hoping to find some people in the northeast part of the United States or, you know, uh, Ontario area. But we'd like to get a few more U.S. guests on. And, you know, we'll cover uh, some travel costs to get you up here and get you on the show. We do pay an honorarium, and we treat uh, everyone to a fantastic lunch. Clark will attest to the uh, quality of the barbecue lunch that we put uh, that we go out for but yeah if anybody in in the northeast we're looking for people who may have done uh, clinics at shows or at conventions and want to you know dig those out and present them on tv it's it's really not difficult to do because clark and lyle are great hosts and they carry the load and all you got to do is sit down and show us how to do a project and and i think a lot of people are really good at doing that so uh if anybody in you know anywhere from ohio up through to Massachusetts. Uh, Massachusetts and Maine wants to get in touch with me, uh, you know, and, and give us an idea of what it'll, what it'll take as far as cost to get you, you know, just across the, the uh, Canadian border at Lake Ontario. Uh, and eventually we'll branch out and, and uh, when we find the right people to do the right clinics, we'll, we'll fly people in from just about anywhere to do that. So, uh, and generally we like people to, to come and do, maybe a half hour clinic and in the morning and maybe three 10 minute ones in the afternoon. And, and some of that will be bonus material and some of it will end up in the show. And unfortunately I just looked at my passport and it expired in November. Hmm. Well, they like, they like you to, uh, they like you to have a passport that has at least six months on it. So you might yeah. want to get that up, updated anyway, if you're going to go anywhere across the border in the next year. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean it's expired November fourth, so uh, it's like, oh, dope. <laughs> yeah, so close, so close. I was like, I never use this thing, and I was like, oh, it should be still good. It's not crap. Oh well. What a letdown, Jim. Oh well, you know, it's not like I was gonna. I was hopping. You know, it's like, oh well, let me just drive all the way over there in the winter. What a great idea. Not. Well, apparently it's going to be a mild winter this year, from what I hear. So uh, they always say that. Yeah, I don't know anyone who lives in an igloo, so it can't, there can't be that much snow. I was gonna say, but certainly, Jim, keep us in mind. No, absolutely. It's 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 uh, very well. The nice thing about me looking right now is that I know I have to get it renewed. Um, so no, it's I, I do definitely do want to come up um, and do something. I don't know what. Well, suppose. maybe we'll we'll meet in person at the Springfield show. Yep. And I'm, I'd like to add that, that a huge crew from Train Masters TV will bring it, be at the Springfield show, and we're going to have a panel there uh, where people can come and do a meet and greet and ask some questions. But uh, I'm pretty sure Clark is there, Lionel's there, I will be there, and uh, Les Hamos from Model Railroad Hobbyist Magazine will be there along with his, 
his uh, assistant Jeffrey. And I, I think there's a chance that even Joe from the magazine might end up going as well. But there's, uh, oh, even Miles Hale. Miles Hale, who is one of our uh, hosts, is going to be at the show as well. So come out and see us. And for, and I can hear a train coming. Uh, and for those who are interested, and in, 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 for those who are interested, uh, uh, what's his name? Clark, yeah, Clark is going to be in the Trainmaster TV dunk tank. So if you want to, you can dunk <laughs> Clark all day long for two days. And there's a train going by, so he can't argue. Haha, <laughs> 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 it was a joke. Although that would be fun. I think Clark would actually possibly go along with that. No, I heard a train coming. That's why. No, I I turned my mic down so it didn't blast everyone uh-huh. because it is uh-huh. it is pretty loud. Yes, yeah. it is. Quite impressive, actually. So yeah, you got to work on that a dunk tank for Clark. I'm sure he'll love it. Well, we'll, we'll make a little switch, uh, a signal stand target, and you have to hit the target. That's right. Yeah. I just realized something. If you go up there to Canada to uh, uh-huh. Master TV to do a, a clinic yes. or something, you should swing by Rapido and pick up that Play-Doh. I should. If you like. I should. That would well, Jason's just Jason's just a couple hours down the road from us, so we could oh, we just set a, you up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he said he didn't want to ship it because he didn't think it would make the, the trek. The long story to that. but uh, Plus, I, pe- I think the people in customs might have a little too much fun with that anyway. Probably. What are you doing with a plasticine locomotive? Oh, I don't know. I like it. Okay, we're going to do a surge. <laughs> You're obviously way on way too many drugs. <laughs> when you go through and they say, do you have any firearm? Do you have any uh, alcohol, tobacco, or firearms? Why? What do you need? <laughs> I don't think that's the answer they're looking no, for. No, probably not. Hello, this is actor Michael Gross, and you're listening to the Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. Well, we're going to be talking with uh, Clark uh, Koenig here, who does the section called Backshop Clinic on Trainmaster TV. And Clark is also Canadian Vice President for the NMRA. Okay, i got to correct you guys. Okay, I'm actually what is that? the NMRA Canada President. Okay, there. That's even more impressive. <laughs> no, it's not. Not really. That's a cup of coffee, and you can have the job. But uh, yeah, I'm actually the president. Oh, all right. Well, you've got to correct it on train maps because I put it down from there. Yeah, I sent uh, Barry and Joe uh, an updated version. I'm not sure where they got that one from, but now you are an MMR, right? I am. All righty. Not really sure why, though. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. You know, in the last few years, in the last few years, I agree with you because I haven't really done much actual building other than the layout, but not you know contest stuff or nothing. So, so you basically you basic you basically got it all done by the time you were 16 years old, and then you you've just been coasting since then. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> yeah. Well, then is it true that MMR is like the model railroading equivalent to the Masons? And it's a secret cult with handshakes and everything. Uh, no, <laughs> probably, the, probably the well, opposite. If, if it was, if it was, he couldn't tell you. No worry, he'd have to kill me after he did. And I'm in both, so you got to be careful. Uh oh. <laughs> made made powerful. That's double trouble right there, Paul. I think you've been targeted. 
<laughs> okay. Well, Clark, how long have you been associated with Barry? Um, I've known Barry a long time. He, at one time, owned a hobby shop here in uh, in Ontario and was uh, pretty successful at it. We've known each other, uh, boy, since then. And he's Barry's a fantastic modeler in addition to what he does in film. Um, the filming part, I mean, is his professional side. And um, he really knows how to film projects and and uh and to get the best out of uh out of layouts and other items that he's been doing for uh the MRH uh train masters he just has a knack that eye that a lot of people in that industry have but he's really got it for the model segment that was the dramatic pause ah, <laughs> sorry we we like to kind of keep everybody in the dramatic zone for a minute, and then okay, <laughs> then then all rush in at once and try to speak over each other. <laughs> all right, I'm done. <laughs> so. What's your questions, uh, Jim? Uh, I've been talking. I've been talking to Clark for the last like two or three years, so I don't have any questions. So if you want me to ask him stuff, that's great. But I can. Uh, well, no, I mean logically, then. On the uh, the back shop clinic, what type of subjects are you going to be looking for there for the interviews? We're looking at all kinds of subjects. Um, you know, I think that's one of the really neat things about model railroading. There are so many general topics. You know, I mean, you can just look at bench work. You can look at, um, well, I mean, you can start back that up. Let's look at track planning bench work, the electrical, um, then you go to scenery and then operations. But in each of those five categories, there are probably two or three hundred subcategories you could you could uh, list. And we're going to try and develop, delve into every category. I'm not going to say we're going to get into about 200 different ones, but I think there's enough out there that... Uh, you can certainly get into a lot of uh, very significant uh, um, portions for for model railroading, and I think we will cover a lot of them. Barry and I have talked extensively about uh, where we would like to go and and uh, with the program, and and uh, we're both kind of on the same. I hate to use the pun, but track. The, I know, I know, but it that just popped in my head, so. Um, but we're we're certainly think a lot alike in that respect, and um, the people in this area that are fantastic modelers um, that we're going to be able to have on, I think you'll really appreciate uh, their talents. We also have um, a lot of people from outside this area that we're going to be uh, talking to in the next uh, little while. And you're going to see those videos uh, on uh, Train Masters as well. So I think you're going to really enjoy the different topics. We've already looked at, there was um, a very simple email that uh, one person had put in to us already about uh, using gear pullers and quartering and stuff. So we're actually going to try and tackle that in an upcoming uh, uh, backshop clinic. Okay, so it's... Uh video how-to or 
enlightenment of a lot of the processes we go through while we're modeling. Yes, and and some detail stuff too. I mean, one of the things that we talk about in a segment we call the toolbox, we saw Roger Chrysler and I, we talked about some general tools that we like to use, but then we're going to actually show people how to use that tool properly. And I think that's a big advantage. Uh, it's not just, hey, here's the stuff, guys, and go to it. I think you need to give a little bit of instruction. One of my sort of projects in the NMRA is that I lead a program called Modeling with the Masters. And it is a hands-on program where we were doing it for separate weekends. You paid a price for the whole weekend, would come in Thursday um, Thursday night, we would start, we'd give you kind of a, an overall view of what would happen over the weekend, and we'd give you two um, sort of PowerPoint presentations on the projects we were going to start on Friday morning. And then Friday morning at 8 o'clock, we'd start our first one, and it was hands-on. It could be a laser kit. It could be, oh, we did so many things, and we had, we brought in uh, four other Master Model Railroaders, everybody from Bob Brown, who is uh, the owner of the Gazette, to um, Alan McClellan. Uh, we've had several times. We've had uh, a fantastic modder out of St. Louis called uh, uh, Pete Smith, and he is just a great instructor, as well as another gentleman named Al Booz out of uh, San Antonio, Texas. And uh, we've had uh, lots of the regulars, too, Miles Hale, Fran Hale, uh, John Lawrence, who was the education director uh, for the NMRA. They all are MMRs and have all participated in our, in our hands-on programs. Uh, so we've, we've taken sort of that idea where we get really specific and get hands-on stuff, and we translate it into the – or I've translated into the uh, – uh, train master's program to kind of pull some of that experience uh, for the viewers out there. And I think they're really going to enjoy some of the tricks and, and tips. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be always a master model railroader. Um, in our master model railroad series, we, we only have MMRs as instructors. But in the uh, train master series, I mean, there are some fantastic modelers out there. Um, and we're going to be able to use their experience and their tips and tricks to uh, show everybody that uh, anybody can do this stuff. Um, I always say model railroading is hard until you're showing that it's easy, and it's and it's really just bringing that person along and saying, don't make it as hard as what you know when you see it in a magazine and you see this fantastic model you you can get there it takes a little bit of practice it takes a little bit of skill that you will acquire with practice and that you'll certainly um, develop those skills and and uh, and content the more you look at items like uh, uh, train masters videos more that you can get out into uh, the NMRA world, the all the clinics and so forth that are available to you. So don't be shy and get out there and, and, and learn some of these things. Get involved, even if you're a beginner, because I think you'll really pick up a lot of skills. Um, I mean, even Jim, 
when we have talked in the past, um, you know, Jim comes up with some really neat little tips and gems, and that might be the the spark to get you over a hurdle that you've come to on your layout. And that's what Train Masters is kind of all about. It's about getting you um, not afraid to try something. And as a matter of fact, uh, Barry, I mean, although it's an open invitation, Barry has invited me to go up there to the studio to something. Yeah, so, we'd love to uh, to have you up, Jim. Uh, you can certainly uh, uh, come up and we'll we'll take you for a, a whirlwind tour of southern Ontario. Yeah, yeah. That, that, now is just a perfect time to go, too. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Drive through, get to drive through Buffalo and, you know, just, just, just the vacation hotspots in the winter. You, you, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> I might. <laughs> well, okay, so that then begs the logical question. Do you do all of the filming and your segments, are they done right there in the Ontario area, or do you travel forth into the modeling wilderness? Well, we have uh, been shooting. We have a, a fantastic studio location, mm-hmm. and um, all of our kind of props and and all the things we need are right there. And uh, Barry has all the camera and the acoustics set up in the studio, of course. And that's why he gets so fantastic, um, you know, TV quality uh, video that you that the, the listeners and and the people who uh, have subscribed to uh, to the Train Master series can get because um, he's taken a lot of time, a lot of effort to to build a proper studio, and um, it's just really fantastic. Now he. Of course, with the layouts and that, he's traveling. Um, with the show production, he's we're you know the only way to do that is to get out of the studio and travel to the to the uh, different shows around uh, North America, and he's been doing that. And um, I think you're going to find uh, um, we'll probably do some some clinics or or uh, backshop uh, workshops from how can I say the field. Um, in the near future, but uh, I think most of them will probably be taking place uh, at the studio for now. Now, is is he coming to Springfield? Yes, as far as I know, um, he was coming. Uh, we have some guests coming up this way uh, before Springfield, I believe, to do some filming. And um, then uh, after Springfield, I think... Um, He's on the road for a little bit. I think he's going to Chicago and a few other places. Okay. No, I was just wondering. I said, do you get a chance to meet him other than having to drive all the way out to uh, <coughs> where you guys live? <laughs> well, actually, he's, he's two hours closer than uh, than I am to you, so that's not as bad. Is he? Yeah. He uh, he's in the Belleville, Ontario area, and uh, so you can uh, cross the border. Um, I guess you would. I'm not sure exactly where you would cross the border there, but uh, you wouldn't have to come through Buffalo. Oh, let me see the wonders of a cell phone. Well, we'll just look that up. That's still like eight hours, but. Oh yeah. 
It'll be a little bit longer for uh, Paul and I to get up there, though. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys. <laughs> Nine and a half at least. You guys fly to Buffalo. We'll pick you up. <laughs> so just make sure you got your passports. Oh, yeah. So you said it's Belleville, Ontario? Belleville. Oh, have Belleville. So I got to have your passports to go there now? That may be problematic. Well, that's not know. our doing, you gentlemen. <laughs> that was the U.S. government. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I think I think mine's still good. Yeah, it's and the irony is not lost on people that the Mexican border is a a large sieve that you can just flow rocks through, and then the Canadian side of it we have to have a passport and it seems like maybe we've mixed that around we should do it the other way so when you're not doing back shop stuff clark yes sir what do you what's your focus on your modeling well i'm i'm kind of a narrow gauge guy um i model mostly uh narrow gauge um equipment or modeling uh denver uh, and Rio Grande Western is my primary kind of, uh, base for, for the layout. I'm doing more or less a, a freelance layout, but, uh, it's all with, uh, DRGW prototype and based uh, you, in Colorado. You deal mostly, you deal mostly with crackstone equipment, right? From Blackstone, yes. I, Crack, I yeah. really enjoy, uh, <laughs> I really enjoy their equipment. I'm, I went through a real progression. I was really heavy in N scale um, and really enjoyed it. But then I got into the narrow gauge bug got me and I got very ill for a while. <laughs> and I and I actually built Malcolm Furlow's uh, San Juan Central in H13. Oh, cool. And but I was so frustrated at the equipment at the time of trying to get brass engines to work, get cars to work properly, that I was really frustrated. And then um, I was in St. Louis, Missouri, at a and saw in a hobby shop that they were having a narrow gauge meet. So I went and I found a bunch of SN3 guys. Well, after seeing SN3, I just kind of went, "What am I doing with?" HO and three, so I came home and I basically dismantled the uh, the HO and three layout, sold everything I had, and went out and bought one PBL locomotive. <laughs> and uh, from then on, I I built a very large uh, uh, SN three layout that was about oh, twenty by twenty four. Um, and I, at that time, I had run into, uh, well, not run into, but I had developed a very good friendship with my friend Tim Wares, who owns Fast Track. And actually, that was kind of the beginning of Fast Tracks. Um, I asked him to build me a, a template so I could build some uh, SN3 turnouts faster than what I was building uh, just sort of in place, and uh, he had already been doing that for his layout, so he said, sure. And uh, so he continued with that, and I built my fairly large SN3 layouts, and then um, I was the vice chairman of the NMRA convention here in 2003 in Toronto, and I had the layout on uh, on several tours, and 
It uh, wasn't finished, but it was about a third of the way done, and and what people saw, they really liked. And and then after that, unfortunately, life got in the way and went through a hard family time, and the layout came down, and I moved, and I'm back into HON3. But this HON3 equipment that they that Blackstone has come out with has really resurrected HON3 and has made it um, just fantastic. Um, Paul, you said you're in Tucson. I mean, uh, sorry, in Phoenix. Do you do you know? Uh, do you go out to the Thunderbird Club at all? Or about two months ago, it was at Thunderbird on uh, okay visitors' night, and they invited me to bring a couple pieces of motor power. So I spent about uh, two hours there. Oh, great! With, uh, operating. Yeah, I I haven't been out for a while. Uh, I I knew two of the. The guys in that club fairly well. Uh, one, Tom Draper, and uh, and another gentleman, uh, Bob Sherlock, who has been, I guess, in a little bit of bad health, uh, um, from what I understand. And uh, but those two guys are just great guys. If you get out to the club, look them up for me, and and uh, certainly say hi for me. I'll do that. Uh, a friend of mine uh, just finished his term as president and because I had never been there. I'd been to the Scottsdale Club. And he goes, well, hey, we're having visitors night. Uh, grab a couple pieces of motive power and go. And it's uh, their location there at the uh, state fairgrounds is uh, underneath the grandstand. Yeah. You know, it's a two-edged sword, <laughs> especially yeah. during, during fair time because their agreement is they will operate every time the fair is open. But it's a very well-done Model Railroad Club. I was just blown away when they took me to the power room yes. where everything is wired. Going, I've seen uh, you know NORAD bunkers <laughs> that weren't this sophisticated. So yeah, hey guys, uh, I will do that, Clark. I'll mention. Yeah, that. please, please do that because uh, they're they're really good guys, and I've enjoyed any time I've had out in the the Phoenix area with the PSR guys. So uh, I'm gonna have to go, you guys. Sorry, I apologize. Um, I've got to run. Um, is there anything else, unless you wanted to ask uh, Paul or Chris? Yeah, I'm sorry. I the I work part time uh, as the clinic manager for a the largest um, train store in Canada called Credit Valley Railway. Um, I do. I'm a paramedic by trade. If you didn't know that, I'm so that's my full time job of being a paramedic, and um, I. A friend of mine owns the store, and he was in a very small store before um, and then has moved to a 6,000-square-foot warehouse store, and and he built a clinic room just for me, and uh, we we put on clinics pretty well every weekend through the whole winter, and uh, we built a very large layout in, in there as well, so... Um, they're having their annual Christmas party for their staff tonight, which I'm invited. So that's where I'm going to. <laughs> well, you can't pass up free food. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I appreciate your time, Clark. But uh, so I, I apologize. As I said, we were at a family function all weekend and uh, drove uh, to make sure I was home for this, and then we'll go to the to the Christmas event for the store. So. 
I'm sorry to cut you off, but if you need me at all, just uh, just email me or Skype me, and we'll talk again. Okay, very good. Thank you, Clark. Okay, Chris, good to meet you again, and we'll we'll talk to you later, James. As always, nice talking to you, Clark. I'll see you in a month or two. Okay. Yeah, we're great meeting you, Clark. Take care. Okay, well, Barry, just to uh, close out the interview and uh, wrap things up, I was curious, what do we have to look forward to for the January issue of Trainmasters TV? Uh, well, we've got four stories uh, lined up. Um, the One of them will be a, a feature we haven't seen on the show before called Barry's Backyard. Uh, Barry Burkett uh, moved to a new house last year, and uh, he started his second Garden Railroad this spring, and we follow him along in the series as he uh, builds the second G-scale layout. As well, we'll have Jim Rowledge's uh, Union Pacific layout, his HO-scale layout, uh, modeling the uh, Denver and Cheyenne area of Union Pacific. Really nice layout. I really like his dispatching panel. As well, we'll have a feature documentary on the Oak Ridge Horn Honk, which is a annual affair where um, owners of prototype locomotive horns bring them out. Uh, they rent a locomotive for the day and spend <laughs> the whole weekend actually uh, changing out their horns back and forth. And uh, I think probably they went through about 40, 50 horns in the weekend. So. I find that amazing. I am so looking forward to that. A very loud story and, you know, probably one of the few places in North America where, you know, people have the freedom to, to hear the horns as they were, you know, really meant to be heard. Mm -hmm. And we'll also have the Backshop Clinic, our monthly feature. And uh, this month it's going to be uh, Chris Lyon will be showing uh, Lionel Strang uh, some tips on backdrop painting. Actually, that's a whole, almost a whole hour uh, of uh, four different segments, and by the end of watching it, you should be able to feel pretty confident about uh, taking some paint to your backdrops. Great. I'm uh, just starting the the sky backdrop on part of the railroad at the uh, the store, and seriously, the horn honk. Off, not to spoil it, but are they expensive when you go out to buy a diesel air horn? Uh, I think that one can be had for about 800 to 1200 bucks, depending on, on the horn. Get out of town. Yeah, I mean, there, some of the older ones are getting rarer and rarer, and a lot of them just ended up in the scrap bin and got melted down to, you know, make uh, tin cans, really. So, um, you know, if you can find a, a nice three-chime uh, Nathan, then you're probably going to end up paying about 1500 bucks for that, but wow, what a horn. Well, okay, so I may want to change my plans on adding a new horn to the Jeep. Okay, because <laughs> I was thinking about a Leslie Five Chime. <laughs> you're also going to have to put in a big, uh, pretty big air tank because, uh, you know, 100 pounds of air, that air goes out, out the horn pretty quick. That's okay. I'll just take out the back seat and put in a compressor. All right. Okay, Barry, well, that sounds great. Looking forward to it next month. And, again, thanks for your time and joining uh, Chris and Jim and I. Well, thanks for having me here. All right. So, hey, as we usually do, uh, we're just going to discuss a few things that uh, vendor suppliers did right. Uh, and so, Chris, what do you have? I have a guy from eBay I bought some parts off of recently. Uh, his eBay auction ID is Jay Prannell, and it, he has a lot of really hard-to-find parts. And I was looking for something for – uh, SD35 
from Atlas, and he had everything I needed on there. Um, I, I was pretty impressed with that, considering that the last time these things were run was like around 2004, so about 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I had a really good ex- experience with that. I was able to find a lot of detail parts from him as well as uh, uh, locomotive parts that were, you know, specific to this Atlas SD35, and I just got my box in the mail just a few short days after uh, I, I bought a bunch of things. He combined shipping, and yeah, it was great. Uh, I, I'd recommend him as a as an auctioneer. Okay, well, let me add to that. There's a a seller. His name is Too Much Stuff. And you mentioned you were looking for Atlas SD35. This guy has a must have a garage full of Atlas spare parts, but other things as well. I have purchased a couple of his Rapido baggage cars because he has Rapido baggage cars for near thirty bucks, and they're just brand new in the box. So there's another one, people. If you're looking for Parts like Chris was, there's a couple really great sellers out on eBay. So, yeah, I like it when you got a project held up and all of a sudden you you find what you're looking for. Yeah, this project I've been working on was actually kind of abandoned for a while because I couldn't find any parts for it. It was uh, actually the – it was an old, old, old Atlas SD35. Yeah. um, That – I detailed up, and then in process of moving, the cannon cab got squashed on it. And then the just, what was? I'm sorry, the what? The cannon cab. Oh, okay. Yeah, I put a cannon cab on it, and it got squashed in the move. And um, it, the more I tried to fix it, the the more things broke. Just because <laughs> on the chassis, the 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 slippery plastic got you know brittle. And the the frame was weak and snapped. It was just like the leper project of doom. <laughs> now, now you see, Paul. That's where, and, you, that's you know, where you should the insert best way to fix it Is just to like keep the long hood and pretty much take the long hood and put it onto a, a, a new Atlas chassis. You know, new Atlas running boards. Rebuild the cannon cab and go from there. So I, I have an upgrade path now. I'm really, really happy. It was one of my favorite locomotives. Uh, I actually did this kit bash when I was in college. I, I believe it or not, I bought this locomotive from a fair with trains when I was out in Phoenix. <laughs> no kidding. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Resurrecting the dead here. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to doing the project now that I have all the parts and pieces I need to uh, do it. Thanks to this eBay seller. So, so now, Chris, really when, you say old, when you say old, 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 do you mean yellow box SD35 or? Yes. Uh, you know, the one with oh, the wow. driver's slot on the tank. Ah, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like, thank you for that. <laughs> but you know, when that came out, Chris, because that's uh, like, you're talking 75 vintage when they introduced that. I mean, the, the motors and the bodywork, the the die work they had done for the detail was Were amazing. Way yes, way far and above the blue box Aetherns at the time. So no, I understand. I just gave my seventy five SD thirty five away. Gave it to a young man who was still doing DC, and I said, "Do you want this?" He 
did CSX, and that I'd painted it for CSX. So I had it for what? Oh, just shy of 40 years, and I, you know, handed it down to the next generation because it still runs great. Mm. But I'm just, you know, not going to remotor it and put a decoder in it. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a bunch of those. I've got a, I think three GP40s, two or three SD30s, and a couple SD24s still. So. About, uh, it was last year, I bought an Atlas SDP-35 like the UP ran, and I found one with, you know, the QSI decoder and that isobaric speaker arrangement that they have in there. And when I run that at the store on the, the railroad, people will stop. That is one of the best sounds. You know, Atlas and uh, QSI did a really great job on Pairing that locomotive up, the sound is just incredible. The lugging of that, you know, the 567, it's excellent. You know, I, ha- I I just got one of those old, I guess it's the yellow blocks, the GP40s. Yeah. And I have a couple SD40-2 shells. And going along with, uh, you know, my, my sort of recycle railroading. Mm-hmm. What I plan to do here is to take the, the long hood from GP40 and put it onto the SD40 in replace of, or the SD40-2, and turn it into like a SD40. Right now, Athern is not putting out any SD40s. They're really hard to find. Yeah. Um, I was taking a look at the GP40, and the detail on the doors is pretty acceptable to me. I mean, some people might take issue with it, but... I, I thought it looked a lot better than the power stuff. So I'm going to come to a project. I, I'm just going to start modeling with stuff that I already have on hand um, instead of shelling out like another $200 for a locomotive. Um, but right now, it's hard to find. So No, I'm thinning my fleet. Maybe I need to send you a list of what I've got. You might be able to, to use it. I mean, some of it's just one-year-old, ready-to-run uh uh, Athern, and I've added windshield wipers and stuff like that, but it's just I've got too much of it, and I'm going, I don't need this locomotive. You know, I'm going to have to go out and buy a bunch of freight cars just to pull it. So maybe I've got some stuff you could use. Yeah, I'd like to take a look at that. Yeah, yeah, because I don't want to, if I consider that I've got too much, I sure don't want to put a $80, $90 sound decoder in it. I think the decoder will be worth more than the locomotive. Yeah, that's true. That Probably. is true. So, because I did an Excel spreadsheet of everything I have, and I've got just I'm just under 70 locomotives, and that includes about 10 that are old blue box or old, like, yellow box Athern, but so I just went through and ranked them. And so I've got probably about 20 locomotives I'm going to find a home for, either give them to young modelers through the store or to friends that go, hey, I can use that. And like I say, a lot of this stuff I've purchased in the last year. Really? Oh, you know, we all do it. We see something, wow, that looks neat. I think I need it. It's like, ooh, shiny. We, yeah, and we buy it, and then we go, why the heck did I buy this? So I'm trying to become a disciplined modeler. That's one, that's one thing that prototype modeling mostly helps. Mostly. Yeah. Not totally, but mostly. We're sitting at breakfast, and I may have mentioned this on a previous thing. There's about, this time of year, there's about 20 of us get together for breakfast over in Surprise. 
because a lot of the snowbirds are in. And we'll go to the village inn, have breakfast, and we're talking. And I mentioned, you know, I've got 65 locos, and I really need to thin the fleet. And this guy beside me goes, you've just got 65 locomotives? He said, I've got almost 200 SD40-2s. I was taking a cup of coffee, almost choked on them. And I go, why in the world do you have almost 200 SD40-2s? I said, you know, there's real railroads out there that never had that many. He says, well, you know, you just see something you like and you buy it. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. And you've done that a lot of times, right? <laughs> yes. So, which is, which is fine. He's happy. I'm not, I'm just saying that's just, golly, that's a lot of investment. He must be modeling the BN or something. Could be. Yeah, there you go. BN or Santa Fe, I guess. Wow. One of the biggest selections from all the railroads, they kind of swallowed up, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, what a – I have one high-hooded uh, Southern Railway, SD40-2, and it doesn't go with anything, but it's just – Aethern did such a good job on it. Those big five-chime horns on both ends, I'll stick it in a CSX consist and mentally justify it to myself. I don't care what anybody else thinks. It's just a good-looking locomotive. Uh-huh. You used to see those come down the uh, long Route 52 over in uh, Ohio right before the Norfolk Southern, you know, merger, NNW and Southern. And I was just always amazed at how ominous that locomotive looks, especially when it's running long hood forward. Yeah. So, and I think it was 2011, 2010, uh, Atherton ran them and I uh, bought one. And I go, why did I buy this? But it just looks good with some CSX units. So. It just looks good anyway. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So let me tell you what went right in my life. I really like Model Flex paint. I like Badger airbrushes, and I like Model Flex paint. So when I do a job, either for myself or someone, and I'm going to use Model Flex paint, I order new bottles. Because once you break the seal, and maybe it's just because Arizona is so dry, but it doesn't seem to keep. So I just invest in a new bottle. And I was telling Chris before we started this segment, I actually got the colors from Microscale decal sheet. said for the CXX, Dark Future, use Mopac Blue, use Northern Pacific Yellow. And because I had used Floquil in the past, and I really wasn't happy with their blue. It just wasn't dark enough. And so love the Model Flex. It's just spot on. So... I've already painted the yellow on the nose of the decal or the diesel and spent all this time masking it off. Small fortune and Tamiya, you know, masking tape. Then I go shoot it. Everything goes good. Clean the brush. Come back inside. Set it down by the previous two uh, units it's going to run with. And I'm going, holy crap, this is not the same blue. It was like the difference between Great Northern Light Blue and CSX Dark Future Blue. Oh. I sent off a uh, an email to Model Flex because I checked the label and all that stuff, and the bottle was labeled correctly. Went out, grabbed the bottle, opened it up, and I went, holy cow, that's not even close. And it was probably just in changeover. You know, when they put new labels in, they changed the, the tanks when they're going to fill you know, something was out of step. And so I sent an email off to him and just said, hey, you might want to check your inventory. This is what happened to me. And uh, within 10 minutes, 
I had a response back from one of their customer service reps apologizing for the, the problem. And what was amazing was on the carbon copy of the email, she had replied to their engineering guy and their quality control guy. I was just really impressed that they were that concerned about a uh, you know potential problem. So it turns out I had a six-month-old bottle that's had enough for me to overspray this uh, locomotive and get the right color on it from you know a previous uh, job I'd done on that. But I thought that was really good their uh, their response. Well, that's impressive. Yeah, I'm surprised that Microscale would say to use Mopac Blue. You know what? Here's uh, on their decal sheet for the CSX, you know, dark new image, dark future. Yeah. Uh, the revision of 2005 went from the gold lettering to the yellow lettering, which is what CSX does. And down there it says best paint match is Model Flex, Mopac Blue, and then it gives the number, and Northern Pacific Yellow, and it gives the number. Because I would... I had already shot a set of E's on a fantasy scheme, and I always thought the blue was too light, and that was float. Yeah. And I, so I shot the Motto Flux, and it was just dead nuts on. And so I took the locomotive into the store because we had some Atlas, you know, dark future GEs in there, and it was a perfect match for the Atlas. Okay. Yeah, the really dark, dark, dark yeah. blue. Because, you know, the, what I remember of ever seeing Mopac yeah. was it's not as dark as Dark Future Blue, but well, if it matches, you, it doesn't really make any difference. Really. You mentioned that, and I went back to some of my late 70s slides when I worked for ACF. Uh-huh. And, of course, the Mopac mainline out of St. Louis had toward Springfield, ran right through our plant. You had to take a footbridge over and I looked at some of these slides that we had shot back then. And you're right, Jim, with the units we shot, which were six actual U-boats, some of it was dust, and maybe there was a little sun fade, but I'm going, I've never seen a Mopac this dark. Right. <laughs> so I, I I agree with what you're saying, but it works for CSS's uh, dark future. Well, at least with the paint you're using. Yeah. doesn't really make any difference if it's right. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it's, it's labeled. <laughs> exactly. Right. As long as it's the right color. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. So I'm about ready to wrap that uh, locomotive up and uh, take it down to the store on the display railroad and give it a run. Got the decoder in. I've already done the uh, trials of the speakers and stuff. And uh, it's uh, I use the... Uh, DHB 28 boxes, uh, which is like a 28-millimeter high base, and it comes in its own enclosure out of uh, Railmasters over in, uh, well, they're just outside of L.A. It's called Bellflower. And it just makes these E-units hum. Good grief, it sounds. It's a it's a real good speaker, so hmm. look forward to getting them in there. Uh, all right. Anything else, guys? Not, Not really. really. I'm just messing around on a bunch of different things. Um, Anything happening uh, uh, with uh, your friend Michael uh, Gross and the uh, Fremo? Well, 
we've been trying to get a couple uh, setups lined up for 2014. And okay. it ended up we we have pretty much a setup every other month down in Southern California. Okay. Um, trying to also get something going up in uh, Northern California too. So it, my time's pretty well divided. <laughs> okay. But we, yeah, we have a lot of things coming online here and uh, new modules, and things are pretty exciting in that domain. Okay. Well, you know, we're going to in the store. The the railroad that Bob asked me to build is like and eh, just under it's call it eighteen feet but twenty five feet. And it's walk in and it's walk around. I floated it off the walls and all this stuff. And we utilize standard modules, uh two feet by eight feet or six feet or four feet, whatever it took. And so we had some interest from Fremo guys. And so that's my next project once I get this one section of uh, scenery done is to build an interface to Fremo standards so that we have a Saturday meet. We can open up the warehouse doors, attach a Fremo module that will interface with the rest of the display railroad, and then invite a Fremo group in to set up on the outside in the back parking lot. Because, you know, this time of year, it's shirt sleeve weather and there's no rain in sight. So so we're going to embrace the uh, the Fremo spirit there. Well, that's great because uh, there's a couple guys out there in Phoenix that, oh, yeah. that are hard and heavy. They're actually coming out May 15th through 18th. We're doing kind of a, a, a Fremo West convention over at the San Bernardino uh, train station. Yeah. In, in coordination with the museum that's occupying the station. And what we're going to be doing is taking out all the benches in the waiting room of the San Bernardino station. And we'll set up like a 50 by 60, or wow. it'll be more like 40, 40 by 60 layout in the waiting room. Wow, that is cool. Yeah, when is it, it's... When? We, we're trying to pull some guys from Utah, Northern California. We already have commitments from the guys out there in Phoenix to come out. So uh, we're we're excited about that. That's gonna. It's a great location. There's like a three track main line and a parade of trains that go by like trolleys, you know. So it's a great rail fan spot. It's a great setup spot. I mean, you're in a historical train station, so it doesn't get any cooler than that, you know. When do you think this will happen? Oh, this is happening May 15th through the 18th of 2014. I'll make sure that I'm over in Pasadena with my wife then. Yeah, yeah. Come out. Um, since it's a Metrolink stop, you might be able to just, like, take the gold line over into LAUPT, the, you know, the Union Station there in Los Angeles, and yeah. hop on Metrolink, and it'll dump you right off, and you won't ever have to <laughs> – you won't ever have to get on, like, a, a freeway or anything. So, Well, see, and I can walk to their uh, station – uh, from our apartment, because it's it's a half block away from the Santa Fe, the former Santa Fe's uh, Del Mar. Oh, station. okay. We walk there for dinner a lot, and so walking to the station is just like an extra half block. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that's somewhere I'll be in May then. Yeah, uh, well, if you come out in March, we're also doing Western Prototype Modelers. I'm I'm helping coordinate that. That's the 
of railroad prototype modelers meet. And it's in the same location, the San Bernardino train station. And uh, Joe De- Delia is is pretty much doing all the groundwork for that. I'm helping him out, maintaining his right. Facebook and stuff like that. So, Oh, yeah, because I try and either Pam's home or I'm out there, you know, at least once a month so that the periods of separation aren't aren't that long. But And I love Pasadena apartments and what they call old Pasadena and you just walk everywhere you know I drive over and I park the jeep and I don't touch it till I come home because I can walk well okay I can't walk to the whistle stop that's five miles away but I can bike there so but yeah Pasadena is a neat area so so have you been working on your end scale layout at all Jim? no I have I have not uh I went to an LD uh, a layout design opsig meet. Uh, I went to an LD opsig thing and, and down in New Jersey. I brought it with me and uh, set it up, and it ran. And uh, people enjoyed it. Thought it was a real cool concept. Um, Tony Custer wants me to write a like a one page article on it, which I may or may not do. I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. He just wants to take a picture of it of the you know with the the, the photograph on it, uh, yeah. just to, just just to show the concept. He went, you know, a short article, which I don't. I'm not sure whether that would really interfere with an in-depth, you know, multi-page, hundred-photo, you know, thing on how to build the thing. So uh, just to get, just to talk about the concept of um, as a layout design. He wants it for model railroad planning. Uh, you know, as a layout design option. Oh, okay. For the annual. For the annual, yeah. And what actually what I've been doing uh, a lot of lately, uh, although not so much this last week, but uh, I've been watching a program. I'm, I, I've been watching it on YouTube. Very interesting. It's called uh, Great Railway, Great British Railway Journeys, and. You probably don't remember the series from the early 80s. There was a BBC series called Great Actually, Railway Journeys. Actually, I Journey. do, and they, they did one. It was Great Railway Journeys of the World, and right. they had a couple where they went down to South America and the United States yep. and yep. all this over. This is not that. This is not that. Uh, this is just in Britain, and um, it, the gentleman's name is Michael Portillo, and uh, – what he's doing is he's using an old 1840s British uh, railway guide as his guide to go from – to make his trips across Britain and Ireland and Scotland and Wales. And, um, of course, I can't think – as many times as he's mentioned it in the series, um, I can't think of what it's called. Um but he, and he's using this 1840s guide that's actually very accurate even to this point because I mean all the rail basically all the railways in Britain were built by the 1890s and he's describing a lot of these things and he's able to stay in hotels that are in this 1840s guide and it's not just oh you know here's a bunch of trains it's you know, here are the industries, how the railroads affected the this industry and that industry and how it affected this and why this boomed and that didn't. And it's a very, 
very good series. Uh, the difficulty is finding it so that you can actually watch it in the United States other than YouTube. A is lot it a BBC? Of the it's a BBC, BBC Two. And uh, you can find the DVDs. The problem is they're for Europe. And so they're in the PAL format? Yeah. And okay. the... Um, and to get the United States versions are like double the price. It's insane. And because what happens on YouTube is basically you can you can watch all of season two, and you can figure out that's the only one that's all marked properly. Uh, but season one is like episodes that are very difficult to find because they're not marked right, and most of us wouldn't know. Even if you're looking at it, wouldn't know where, you know, one point is to the other. You know, if someone says, you know, Carlisle to Kent, you probably have no idea where those two places are. You might, but most of us don't. And some of the cool points are, uh, you know, are missing. And that's why I was I was going to buy them and just have the DVDs. It is that good of a series. Very well done. It was done in 2009 to like 2012, 2013 maybe. So the very, very current. It's very neat. Um, definitely, you know, if you get a chance to look at it on YouTube, it's definitely worth a watch anyway. I think if, I mean, it's, it's they're 29 minutes, uh, 30 minutes tops. Uh, you know, no commercials, obviously, but uh, very, very interesting, very entertaining. Then there's Great Continental Railway Journeys where he takes long trips through Europe, which are all, those are hour long. And you get to see uh, some really fascinating stuff. One of them gets into uh, – there's actually one of the World War One narrow-gauge railways that they that each side used to carry materials from the rear areas up to the front. There's one of those left in, in Europe. Uh, didn't know, the two-foot-gauge railways. And there's one of those left. There's two kilometers, so about a mile of it left. But you know, a bunch of a uh, bunch of rolling stock and every you know is left over from it. And uh, they show you know how they were able to lay the track so quickly. It's sectional track. <laughs> you know, four guys pick up this piece of track, move it over, bolt it together. You know, it's like a big Tyco train set. <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably pretty lightweight uh, steel too. Oh yeah. Or yeah. Or iron, whatever they were using for track in the war. Right, right. No, they're very, very cool. I didn't. I mean, I've I've heard a lot about it because you know, Model Rail Radio and uh, the different podcasts they talk about. Like Bernie Kapinski is writing a book about it. Yeah, uh, he's and he's doing a model of the two foot gauge uh, uh, World War One trench rail, railways, and uh, but I didn't realize there was one left. Um, uh, which was very cool to see it, uh, and uh, so there's a lot of very interesting information in these uh, videos that you know probably any listener in Europe and Britain are very well aware of, but most of us in the, in the states wouldn't be. Uh, I've been to areas in England, but a lot of these there are, it's a lot of places you would probably never go, just because you don't have the time. You know, most you know if you go to England. You're either going to visit friends or you're going to London, mostly, you know. Uh, so, you know, I've been to London. I've been to 
uh, York. I've been to Edinburgh. Uh, yeah. And York is great because it's a magnificent railway museum. It's, uh, the, uh, the National Railway Museum is in York. Uh, it's a really very pretty city. And then if you take the bus from York to Pickering, you can ride the North Yorkshire Moors Railway. It's a heritage railway, a lot of steam locomotives, very well maintained. And it's the only way to get into this national park. Is the New Yorkshire Moors National Park. The only way to get in there is by the steam railway. No roads. Uh, very cool. Very cool. Well, since you've been there, let me ask what may be a, a naive or dumb question. but And this goes back a couple years ago in maybe it was trains or railroad before they merged with uh, Railfan that there was a narrow gauge railway in England and, you know, it contributed significantly to the World War II effort of, of uh, England. And but besides being narrow gauge, the locomotives and the rolling stock themselves was proportionally smaller. Is this ringing a bell? Yes, it is ringing a bell. I can't remember the name of it, and I'm sure there'll be people commenting, oh, it's the... Okay. Uh, yes, I remember that R series about, yeah, it's like a model railway. It's not, right. it's narrow gauge, but it's like, it's like seven inch gauge or something like that. It's not, it's not a real, it, it's narrow gauge in the sense that the tracks are narrow, but the, the equipment that runs on it is standard gauge equipment, but it's small. Yeah, just the length width. Right weight and stuff was smaller, but it was a real railroad. Yes. I mean, it wasn't like somebody's garden railway. Okay. No, I mean, it, I was it, just it, fascinated it, by it. Yeah, it's like a garden railway. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I have I have not seen it. Uh, I think it was owned by one of the royalty. He had built it, or some oh, okay. somebody with a lot of money had built it, but it was so extensive that the government took it over during World War II to move troops in and around this area of Britain. Okay. Yes, I have heard of that. And very okay. I and I remember the pictures. It's very cool. Yes. Very, very cool. But it's like And you know, I'm not a big fan of the European diesel and stuff like that, but yeah. I tell you what, the the British boy, they had an eye for developing, you know, designing, building beautiful steam locomotives. Yeah. It's a different Just design. Poetry. Yeah, it's a different design. They're a lot sleeker than most. Yes. Most uh, American locomotives. I mean, I, I like the aesthetic of American locomotives better. But yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I, I'm an American, so that's what we're used to. That's what we're used to. But I mean, they're very, you know, Flying Scotsman and the, you know, all those, uh, you know, some of the really big ones. I mean, a really big locomotive for them is four eight two. Yeah. And they're very – they kind of have a sleekness and a brawniness at the same time. It's, it, 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 I know what you mean. It's, it's interesting. But they're elegant. Even yes. though they're brute power and tractive ever, yes. it's very elegant. And the colors are so rich. Right. The blues – or I'm sorry, the greens, the burgundies, the golds. And, oh, yeah. And the Brits did it well. And only the British could build a modern – steam locomotive because they just built one I know they didn't just build it but they built one recently 
to the same spec. It's to the exact same spec as the Flying Scotsman, that class, the A3 class. You're, you, yeah. you're familiar with the Tornado, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is what was built in 2006 or 2007, something like that. I mean, very recently. Yep. Yeah. Brand new, but they had to do it all because it's new and not refurbished. They had to do everything to modern specifications. Only in Britain would they do that. Would they would, no one would fork up the dough in the United States to do that. Well, remember when we brought, what, two Mikados from China? Yep. And they ran throughout the Midwest and stuff? Uh-huh. And there for a while they even had the, the uh, Chinese type of coupler and buffers and stuff on them. Yeah. And paint and – and. Uh, I could never embrace the aesthetics of the Chinese right. locomotive. No, the, what, what happened with the Tornado, uh, the Tornado was in London for some event. don't know what it was. Yeah. And at that time, there was a huge ice storm, and everything in, in around London was all electrified. Okay. Shut down the Eurostar. Everything was shut down in, in, in and around London. The, all the commuter trains... Nothing was running. The only thing in London that was running was the tornado. And, and so they ran the tornado out, as I recall, to run a commuter train. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, cool. So the people are waiting on the platform, and in comes the tornado with a bunch of cars. It's like, that's neat. And the quote was, anytime you need, anytime you need us to save your fancy, uh, fancy technology, well, we're happy to come and help. Yeah. That's neat. That oh, yeah. That is neat. Yeah. Yes, it is. But the, it's just a, it's such a different mindset over there as far as preservations go. Preservation, preservation go, you know, this totally, you know, you can, the Bluebell Railway, for instance. I rolled the Bluebell Railway. Beautiful line. Uh, and yeah. And what you do is you get on a train, and I forget the actual station you go to, but you get on a train at uh, Victoria Station, standard, you know, Regular old commuter train. You get on a commuter train at Victoria Station. You go to the end of the line, get off your commuter train, cross the platform, and you're on a heritage railway, and you just keep going west. I mean, and it's, like, seamless. But then you just go into this time warp because they redo all the stations so that they're like they were, you know, back in the day. And you're going through fields and it just out in the middle of nowhere because, you know, you're really far outside the city now. And it's totally, they really take their trains a lot more seriously over there than they kind of. And, and see, if only that mindset could have been here in the late 60s and then actually more appropriate, I guess, the late 70s when the Delaware and Hudson decided to divest themselves of the former Santa Fe PAs yep. and sent them to certain death in, in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if they would have sent them to Ireland, but why'd they leave them, leave the country? They should have stayed here. We have no sense of history sometimes. Not until it's too late. Yeah. So now you got Doyle McCormick trying to resurrect one, and one of the others is, I guess, is spare parts donor. So at some time in the future, we'll have one PA operating. 
Yeah, and thank goodness Mr. McCormick feels strongly about this, but why the heck did this stuff even leave the country, you know? Well, that's that's true, but, I mean, think about the DL-109s. There's oh, yeah. None. Zero. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And relatively speaking, that was a that was a successful locomotive. Uh, it mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, it was probably more reliable than the PAs were, but the PA has yeah. a lot more press. Uh, yeah. And New Haven had a lot of them, but there's none. You know, there's just so. And I, you know, as far as the business goes, when you're when you need money, it's you know. It's, I know. You just. I understand the the economics. Economics, I do. Unfortunately. Yes. You know? Yes. And like right. what happened with uh, with Jason Schron with the LRC locomotive. Yeah. Uh, VIA or VIA in Canada said, "Well, you know, we're scrapping these. You can have one of them if you pay us. We'll give you this much time to do it, but we want money." Otherwise, yeah. we cut it up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, fortunately, he was able to, I'm fairly certain he was able to get the money to save it. So, Have you uh, guys heard about the SP-9010? No. What's an SP-9010? It's a Krauss Mafia that's being stored by Oh, her. the Krauss Mafia. You know, and it's, you know, the funny thing about the SP-9010, there's just some projects that are meant to happen. And this is one of those projects. I mean, the... Reading on this online, the the important parts from, like, the trucks that were converted by Southern Pacific, it, the modeler term for it would be like a dummy truck. All the hydraulic bits have been removed, and it was just free-rolling truck at that point. Just recently, I think a, the company was Placer. I forgot the last part. It was, like, two two names, but Placer. There's an interesting bit of history when the Southern Pacific scrapped the other Kraus Mafes. They sent all the trucks over to Placer over in uh, Austria, and then they built like a, a you know, a self-moving, one of the self-propelled uh, ballast regulators or something like that. Yes. And just recently, these self-propelled ballast regulators got scrapped, leaving the trucks <laughs> with the at, with the parts all in place to actually make this SP9010 self-propelled again. So they were able to acquire the trucks, and they're being shipped over from Austria to California, and they're going to get this thing up and running. Cool, because that was a diesel hydraulic. It was a diesel hydraulic built in Germany. Actually had a drive shaft, I believe. Yeah. Cool. Now, is this the original body design, or is this one, because there were two body designs of of Krauss Mafies that yeah, those cab version and hood version. This one's a hood version. Okay, that is really good to hear. I like that. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty heartwarming because you know it, it's weird how just things sync up and work out the way they do. And this is one of those perfect examples where just the oh well, I don't know. These people were talking. Well, I don't know if we'll ever get this thing moving because we're lacking all the parts to, you know, to get the hydraulic lines to actually create motion through these trucks sure. are missing. And then, oh, yeah, well, we have these trucks now available, you know, that have all the parts <laughs> you need. <laughs> yeah, great. At the perfect time because 
if this would have happened like two years ago, those trucks would have been gone. Yeah. If this would have happened two years later, you know, who knows what would have happened? You know, it's a synchronous sort of thing, you know. <laughs> it's a great year. we got a big boy being uh, rebuilt. I was going to say that. Mikey. Yeah. Uh, gosh. Now, if only could, they could get the money together to finish the B&M Pacific sitting at Steamtown. Oh, are they trying to uh, restore it? Oh, yeah. It's been it's been an, a restoration project for a long time, and they just don't Whoa. they don't have the money. Okay. Well, it's like the group doing the uh, 2900 series Santa Fe 4A4, which was actually a little bigger than the uh, – the 3751, if I'm correct, if I'm not, forgive me, people, don't don't hate me. But, you know, that group has been, you know, raise money, do a little work, raise money, do a little work. Admirable. I mean, stick to itness. I'd love to see the 2900 run. So that's great. That's great. Maybe, you know, if we all get together and we go to somebody like Malcolm Forbes or Whatever. Maybe we can get him to donate enough money to, we'll make a new PA. We'll just, you know, it's sheet metal. We can fabricate the frame. We can find the prime mover. We'll just have to, you know, do something about the trucks because I'm sure those were cash. But okay, can I ask Anything's possible. Okay, so you're saying we. So the three of us. I'm going to build a PA. Great. What a great We're going to get Malcolm Forbes to donate the money. And uh, I'm retired, so I've got time to overlord the project. Uh-huh. And, yes, we will we'll use uh, Doyle McCormick's, uh, you know, nickel plate one as the pattern. We'll get the uh-huh. body. Okay. We'll get Chip Foose. He's got some great body people out there in L.A., and we'll recreate this. Okay. We'll recreate. I've got my calendar. How about we out. recreate it out of Play-Doh? There you go. Classicine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we can call it the the uh, the Steve. We'll get Lionel. Call Crane. it the Steve. That's right. <laughs> call it the Steve. That's probably. Yeah, that's probably. Uh, see, I'm trying to be serious, and and Chris is bringing. Why not Lego? You know. Well, why not Lego? <laughs> It's probably a lot more likely to happen. Yeah, okay. Uh, may have to do battery power, otherwise that uh, V12 will melt the plastic. Well, you never know. Maybe a um, an original Lego 251 will run better than the original. Huh? Yeah, yeah, they had some challenges. They had some challenges. It's like, wow, first one out of the bat, the Lego one runs flawlessly. Yeah, well, what was the... The later outcos, the uh, wasn't it the two fifty ones that uh, ran a lot better? Oh yeah, the two forty four didn't run well. It was the two fifty. Yeah. That, okay. So the, the PA fours, the Delaware and Hudson ones, were at two fifty ones. Okay. All right, but we'll overcome that. Even if we have to put a MTH smoke generator in it to blow black smoke. There you go. And power with a non turbo six forty five out of a GP thirty eight dash two. We'll make them work. That would be wrong. That would be <laughs> no, just if we're gonna, if we're wrong. If we're going to do it, use Mr. Forbes' money, let's do it right. That's right. 
I mean, at least we put can a treat GE it like a it. giant decoder installation. Put in a ton of speakers in there and just keep it electric. <laughs> and we'll use a tsunami sound <laughs> yeah. to, to simulate, you know. And that's then we'll then we can go for you know EPA approval with that thing, you know. Yeah. There you go. All right. So we've got just mapped out. <laughs> we're gonna recreate a. Uh, a PA breathing a PA and we're going to use tsunami sound with P, with plasticine lego tsunami sound and uh, yeah that's going to work great okay well this conversation is just denigrated into uh unlikely okay uh, well yeah like it was really likely to begin with well there's a real malcolm forbes at least there's a real malcolm forbes who's very successful well okay did you see that uh oh, now I'm not, now I'm going to forget who the uh Rod Stewart visited George Selios. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that and he was just really impressed with what Mr. Selios had accomplished. Yeah. I mean, I think that their two railroads are very similar in a lot of ways. I mean, I haven't seen I've seen George Selios. I've seen the Franklin South Miniature. Obviously, yes. I have not seen um but Mr. Stewart. No, now, Sir Stewart. Yeah, Sir, Sir Rod Stewart. Sir Rod Stewart. Yes, yeah, Sir Rod Stewart. I don't want to be uh, yes. disrespectful. Right. That's right. He is a knight. Knight. Uh, okay. So I have not seen his railroad, but from the photographs, they're a very similar style. And very. it seems to be a very similar uh, level of quality as well. So. That's right. I think they are both what anybody would call serious modelers. Yes. I mean, Mr. Stewart's uh, New York skyline is just still is amazing. Yes. The man does good work, and I love his love his music. When I was, I had just met his, Pam, who's now my wife, and Maggie May had just come out that fall, and I was trying to impress. This uh, young lady that I was hip, you know, even though I'm as conservative as it comes. So I had queued up Rod Stewart's uh, song, Maggie May and the 8-Track Player. So oh, yes. when we got in the car and I picked her up at her house and I had the top down. had the didn't have armor all back then. You had to use 7-Up to make the tires look dark. And I shoved in that 8-Track and there's that mandolin intro to Maggie May. And I thought, oh, this worked out so well. Now she thinks I'm cool. <laughs> Must have worked though. That was 19. We were married in 72. So there you go. The Rod Stewart magic did its charm. Uh huh. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> there you go, people. If you're having trouble in your love life, go get a copy of Rod Stewart Maggie May on a now on eight track. Well, you hey. You could do it up on DVD or uh, CD or MP3 at all. No, 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 no. Must be a track, obviously. <laughs> Has to be okay. a track. Yeah, all right. Just loses its ambiance when you do anything else. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I still, I, I, whatever that album was, I still have it on CD. So, in fact, it went from vinyl to a track to cassette, and you know, I thought I got to keep this song some way in the house. Hey Jim, did you see the the Ken Patterson video where they kind of did sort of a behind the scenes on one of their photo shoots with the Sioux Line F unit and how they got the exhaust no. to come out? 
No, I did not. Oh, you, you got to see that. It's really clever. But that diorama he has is just incredible, where they do the photo shoots. Yeah. Oh, very, very, very good. No, I was. Uh, it, it's pretty cool to see Ken Patterson sort of like behind the scenes on his photo shoots, uh, people that, that shoot photography. We'll kind of see his setup, you know, how he lights, and I, I, I found it very helpful as far as that's concerned, you know. Um, just the, but, the skill that he puts into that diorama that he uses for the photo backdrop is just, he's an excellent modeler. Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, any features excellence, you know, with the, you know, let's meet this week. I, I'm really impressed with everyone that's that he's put in into his column. Oh, yeah. I look forward to that. Yes, it's, and it's interesting. Um, it's It's interesting that he said that, you know, he would take the photographs for the Walters catalog. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, he gets a lot of bylines in the Walters catalog. But one of the times he sent the photographs in, and they sent them back, and they said, "Well, you need to make this look more like a model. Yeah, it looks too real." Yeah. And he's like, "What? Isn't that yeah. the point?" He says, "Yeah, but we don't want to scare people off, you know." Is it? It's like, oh please. But yeah. Because uh, I've seen his byline also in, in a lot of advertisements. Uh-huh. And, uh, and yeah, Ken is just very skilled. He does very good work. But I'm not intimidated by it. It gives me something to shoot for, you know? Right. I like, I like the uh, somebody raising the bar and, golly, I really want to emulate that, you know? So it just makes me, you know, hone my skills down. So now he does a great job. Well, I, I think when you see one person obtain excellence, it sort yeah. of it, you, it, it kind of breaks the sound barrier. You know, it's like, well, if he could do it, I can do it. You know? Yeah. That, that's the way I kind of I think. You know, if I see someone doing like some really cool weathering technique, I'll be like, well, if he could do it, I can do it. You know? It's just it, it, it takes the, the process to figure it out if you know you don't know it, learn a new skill or whatever else you need to do to attain it. Yeah, I think back to right when I got in the hobby in '73. About that time, Model Railroader did an article. I still have it because it was one of the first copies ever bought about using. Uh, Crayon dust, or not crayon dust, but chalk dust to weather. And so I weathered a caboose. And, of course, that's just, by today's standards, very, very crude and simplistic. But I still have the caboose. And now, you know, I'm using dry pigments and stuff like that. But, you know, you just learn by doing. Right. And if you screw it up, you just redo it. People will watch me doing scenery on the... Railroad now go, well, I'm intimidated by casting all these rocks. And I said, look, it's nothing but hydrocal. If you don't like it, when you get it done, tear it off. Redo it. It's, you know, it's a dollar's worth of hydrocal or 50 cents worth. Just 
redo it, repaint it, restain it, put a new wash on it, and each time you'll get better. Don't be intimidated. Nobody is born with this. We just do it, we fail, and we get better at it. Just enjoy Well, you know, it. a good podcast for people to listen to, Paul, is the, the one with the, I think, uh, Don Hanley with the mastermind. Don yeah. That, I mean, he, he, bring a, he brings up a lot of really good points. And the one that I really thought hit close to home and really describes it the best is just as adults, we kind of naturally are afraid of, like, failing. You know, we, we don't want anything but success. And if we don't feel like we can ob- obtain success the first time through, we get intimidated, you know. Yeah. And right after I did the Don uh, Henley, then I had an interview with Mike Rose on the sig- signature uh, element. And I was looking at some of his photos, and this is the one that Jim was involved in in uh, laying some of the track. But I looked at this one scene of a weathered store in a street, and I would have been willing – I mean, I knew it was a model that – but Mike had executed it so well that it looked like a photo of a real, you know, street in a small New England country town. I mean, he was he executed it that well. So, yes, he is a very good modeler. Well, but Jim, I mean, you do incredible track work. You know, I wish my track work looked like yours. Well, you know, a lot of that has to do with his weathering. But uh, thank you. Okay, no. When we were laying and weathering track, and we're still doing it for the display layout there, you know, I look back at these and go, okay, if I do this, can I achieve what Jim and Mike achieved? You know, so, but it's a learning process. I like it. Yeah, you keep doing it, and, you know, you you, you end up learning that it is not as, it really isn't as hard as, it's probably, it's, Probably building track is a lot easier than, say, scratch building a boxcar. So it's way easier because they're – the difference is, is is if you fail, you'll see it really quick. And if you fail, you have to start over. It's not like, ah, I'll just throw some weathering on it and nobody will see it. Yeah. Uh, no one will know if – that post is in the wrong place because nobody really knows. Nobody knows this prototype. Guess what? Everybody knows what track looks like. Everybody knows what track is supposed to do. So it's either right or it isn't. And that's that. I think that, of course, I just thought of this just now. That must be what intimidates people is because when you mess it up, you got to throw it away. It's not like you can, you know, it's not like you can save it. Sometimes you can. I mean, if you're if you're spiking it, I mean, you can save it to a point, but a lot of times, you know, the, when I was building that curved crossing for Mike, I've said this on other podcasts, but I had, I built it three times, totally, uh, before I got one that was right. And if it were possible, I would tear that one out and build a new one, uh, because I know a better way to build it now. Right. And so. However, that ain't happening. So, uh, but, you know, and you just get, you, you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And it's like, ah, you know, it's not that, co- really, it's not that complicated. 
it it seems that way, but it isn't. The uh, I've got a job. I'm waiting for the uh, decoders and speakers to come in from Railmasters, but I've got a a three E unit job for uh, a modeler, and because he had seen and heard the ones that I did for myself. He said, I want you to do the same thing for me. So I said, okay. And in finishing the last unit, I found two different ways, better ways, of putting the speakers in and routing the wires than I did on the very first one. And one of the things I discovered on the Proto 2000s, and this is the era... It's not the newest protos where they took some of the weight out, you know, and switched over to LEDs and stuff. These are still the DCC-ready 8-pin plug, and it's got the big, massive, screwed-in weight. So that's a lot of machining that you have to do to be able to get a Tsunami 1000 in there and any kind of speaker. So I took the weights out, and I was actually marking the weight to have it machined or I was going to put it on the saw myself. And I happened to pick up the locomotive without the big weight, and I went, you know, this still weighs as much as my Genesis SD45-2. So why do I need all this weight? So I looked at if I take this weight out, where am I going to put the speakers? So I fabricated, not enclosures, because I was buying, you know, Railmasters with enclosures, And so I fabricated a speaker stand. And then I thought, okay, I'm this far. If I put a piece of styrene tubing in there, I can route the truck wires away from the flywheels and so forth. And if I paint it black, it won't show up through the portholes on the side. And when I did the last one, I probably improved that process three or four steps so that when I do Ed's locomotives, actually it will be a lot smoother just as functional as what I did my first one. It's a it's an improvement process. Right. And it just and it's not because we get great, we just say, hey, there's a better way to do this. And you do it and it just makes it simpler. Just makes it simpler. And it's still as functional. You know, model railroading is a challenge enough. Why make it more you know, more difficult than it has to be. Right. Well, what a, whenever I start a project, like kit bashing, building a module, whatever it may be, <clears throat> it, it helps to kind of simplify what you're actually doing in your head. Because if, if you try to think about the end product too much, it, it becomes overwhelming. But if you're just sawing on a hunk of plastic, if you're doing a kit bash, you, you feel more confident in it. You're not. You're less concerned about messing it up, and that's when the results are better. When you when you proceed confidently into a project, whatever it may be, simplify it in your mind. I'm just cutting wood. I'm just sawing on a hunk of plastic. I'm saw, I'm soldering two wires together. You know, <laughs> just, just that simplification really will help out your modeling because it, it takes the fear level out of it. And, and for in in that case, also the intimidation of the project. Are you there, Jim? 
Yes, I'm here. It's just that uh, Titus decided to jump up on my chest, and his his face was like half an inch from the the mic, and so I was trying to keep <laughs> from uh, keep him from uh, you know licking the mic and well not that I care that he does that but I didn't think you needed to hear him do it <laughs> so understandable because like whoa that's why suddenly you, you heard the click and mm-hmm. that was Titus jumping on my chest because I'm leaning back in the chair with my feet up on the on the ottoman and he and he ran up my legs and jumped up on my chest it was like looking right at me while I'm talking and he's I'm like oh they don't need to hear this <laughs> so Anyway, no, that's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah it's, I think a lot of times we psych ourselves out of uh, project. I do it all the time. You psych yourself out of projects just because it seems too complicated, and there's other things to do, or you know, oh, you yeah, get, certainly. get too afraid to screw it up. And I have yeah. something I'm looking at right now that I really need to do, but it, you know, there's there's a combination of don't know the right part. I don't have the right parts to finish the job. And so, oh, I'll ask you these questions. Maybe you may, you may or may not know. What is the correct wheel diameter for caboose wheels? Do you know? I think there's 33, 33 inch. They're 33 yeah. inches? Okay. Typically 33. Okay. So roller bearing trucks on a caboose would be 33 inch? Yeah. Probably. Right, because it was sub-100 ton trucks. So, Probably. yeah, okay. typically 33. All right, because I have a uh, – I don't know if you guys know this. I was uh, in Proto 48 for a little while. Yeah. Uh, I still have – I basically still have all the stuff, but, I, I, you know, I'm now doing end scale because Proto 48 is, can be overwhelming. Uh, I had a catastrophic failure that it's going to cost even more money to fix – uh, anyway, uh, but one of the one of the projects I did was I created in Shapeways a bolster for uh, Atlas roller bearing trucks, so that yeah. you can. What the problem with Atlas trucks is that they're too wide. The side frames from side to side are eight feet. They scale out to eight feet wide, uh, and and uh, prototype ones are, I believe, seven feet four or seven feet three inches from okay. side frame to side frame. And so what happens when you put Proto 48 wheel sets in that truck, they do that so they can so they can use the same truck for two rail and three rail. Right. And uh, when you put Proto 48 wheel sets in that truck, it looks ridiculous. There's these huge gaps on either side. Right. Uh, so I created a uh, uh, a bolster that drops in. You just take the old bolster out, you put this bolster in, you, you print it out from shape, Shapeways, you put it in, and, and, it, and, it, and it scales the uh, side frames properly. So it, it pulls the side frames in, it looks exact, basically exactly like the part that you took out, but it, it makes it, pro- it will, it regages the truck for Proto 48, the Atlas truck for Proto 48. And um, you just have to put your own wheel sets in it. Well, I was going to do that with this uh, Atlas caboose that I have, but the the truck design is entirely different. 
so it's gonna and I don't have the wheel sets to go in it, so it kind of got. I didn't precisely know what the wheel the wheel size was, and so I had other projects that needed doing. So uh, I have this caboose sitting over here upside down with a truck taken apart. That's been mm-hmm. this way for like three years. <laughs> that I need to design this part for to go in so that you can, you know, so people not that this is going to happen very often, but so that you can regauge the. Uh, the caboose trucks for Proto 48. Because one of the main problems with Proto 48 is it's it's so hard to get into it, people don't do it. And thus, it, you know, people would rather do O-scale because it's easier to do, if that makes any sense. Even though it's incorrect, they would rather do it because you have more options, you have more choices. So, and one of the hopes with the the bolsters was to make more modern equipment available to Proto 48 modelers. And it, it actually has sells fairly well off my Shapeway store. So, uh, not, I mean, it's not like I'm going to get rich off of it, but I make a little bit of money here and there. So it does, does, does get purchased. Uh, and, but, you know, that's one of those projects that I looked at and I was like, eh, <laughs> no, I got other things to do. Other things that I really know how to do. I'll do those. And I think we all have those. Well, that SC-35 I was describing earlier on, that, that was definitely one of those been kind of lurking around in my project bin for too long. So yeah. I, I just sat down one night, looked at it, and really said, okay, what's it going to take to make this happen, or am I going to just throw it out? You know, it's going to be one or the two, one or the other. Finish it or throw it out, you know. Yeah, then you and found the parts. Exactly. The parts came. I looked, and there were the parts. I'm like, okay, well, I think we're going to make this happen. You know. Now, are the did you are the sides of the fuel tank the same thing with the the slot in them, or did you fill that in so that it's correct? Or all new chassis. All it's new chassis. The modern Atlas. Modern. Okay. SD35 underframe. Yep. yep. Um, has the modern Atlas SD35 running boards with the pilots. Uh-huh. All I'm really okay. saving from the original shell is just the long hood. The hood, okay. And the the reason I decided to save the long hood is because the grills are like unobtainium. Uh, uh, Canon doesn't make them, but they're exactly right for this particular locomotive. There's like a early version and a late version on the SD35. Yeah. Atlas did the early version, but not the late version. The The late version is best replicated by actually the really old 1970s SD35 long hood. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it kind of justified itself at that point. Okay. Very cool. So is that all we have? I think that's all I have. Okay. I like this little uh, gab session. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Well, then I'll get this wrapped up. I've got to be at the store tomorrow and Sunday, but I'm going to carve out some time. So I'd like to get this up on YouTube by uh, YouTube, iTunes by uh, Monday afternoon, get it over to Jimmy so he can upload it. All right. Well, guys, appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Paul. 
Roger. All right. Good I luck enjoyed with it, Jim. <laughs>